Alright, this week we have a gem of a guest. We got Mr. Dan Breezy in the booth. So we are really, really excited to share this one. It's one of my favorite episodes we've ever done, buds. Yes. Uh, Dan, if you guys are unfamiliar, he basically pushed the envelopes of street snowboarding. You know, we're talking building roof gaps. He's flying off of three-story buildings. He's doing all kinds of crazy stuff in the streets. He's won real snow medals. And, and Eastone actually shot a lot of the photos. Well, he did all this psycho stuff, huh? I Buzz? did. It was pretty intense, man. This guy definitely took it to the next level and beyond. I mean, it's the only time in the streets where you were thinking, man, someone could die out here today. And I'll tell you what, we had the uh, key to the city once up in Michigan, and we were able to jump and get on any building and permission to do anything in the city, but we got in so much trouble getting caught in the roofs that the mayor called up Dan and uh, kicked us out of town. You guys got the boot. We got the boot. It was like old cowboy days. You boys better pack up and leave now. Unreal. So, uh, and one last thing about this episode that I think is really fascinating. Dan has been massively successful since snowboarding. He's gone on to start his own kind of real estate investment company, and he's got some great actionable advice for anybody that's kind of looking to invest or anything like that. I found it really, really, you know, insightful. And and Dan's just a he's a smart human being. So. It's a great episode. Now, before we get into the episode, a couple things. First, we don't really do any marketing for the show. So, you know, if, if you like the episode, sharing it on your Instagram, that, that's how we that's how we market the show. So we really appreciate any comments, interaction on the gram, you know, hop on there. And then a couple other things, huge thanks to our sponsors for keeping a roof over our head, or anybody that bought merch for keeping a roof over our head. And lastly, our Patreon for keeping a roof over our head. You guys are huge. Why is that, buds? Patreon are our people. I'll tell you what, if you join up, you get to uh, find out who future guests are going to be. You get to ask them questions. Uh, I will personally ask the questions for you on the air. And these questions are usually pretty insightful and good. And it's pretty cool. You also get merch. You uh, are really becoming a part of the community. You get to see a look into the episode and get photos from that day and just get to be part of what we got going on. Totally. We're trying to build this community we care about our listeners we care about you guys we we care about our people so um you know it's a good way to interact with you guys and and just build this this community and strengthen it so again you can find the link at bombhole.com slash patreon it's a huge support to us and uh or excuse me that up in the show notes yeah yeah the links in the show notes or just go to bombhole.com and you can find the link or just google bombhole patreon it'll all come up so with that being said let's get into the dan breezy episode thanks guys you are listening to the bombhole podcast it's going to be very hot it's going to be very uncomfortable for everybody (laughs) the bombhole Gonna slide down in big hills, you know what I mean? On the big, nice burgundy snowboard. Okay, here we go again. We are back at the bomb hole, which is presented by Pub Beer and Liquid Death. Now, Stony Buds, how are we doing, my dog? So good, my dog. Always, always love hearing that. Now, to my left, we have the most decorated X Games real snow athlete ever to do it, known for hitting the biggest, most death defying snowboard spots you've ever seen in the streets, still to this day. And since his pro career, He's transferred into a real estate tycoon, just an overall solid family man. Dan Breezy, a.k.a. Breezeburger, how are we doing, my friend? Gentlemen, so good. Grateful to be here. 
God, it's good. It's good to connect with you. It's been a while. Uh, and and briefly before we get into everything, uh, Easton and I are wearing high visibility vests for the listeners and hard hats in honor of blue collar breezy, the hardest working man in snowboarding. Uh, so we figured it was it for the tribute to that. We're gonna we want to look the part. You know, it feels good. It does feel good. It feels you, real good. You guys look real good. <laughs> so let's run it back. You are a Midwest uh, native and. Uh, Tell, tell us about the town you grew up in and where you're from. Yeah, I grew up in uh, central Minnesota, small town, Richmond, Minnesota. Population is like 500 people and grew up a pretty chill life of, you know, running around with my friends. And then all of a sudden found snowboarding at 12 mm-hmm. and dude, world changed at, at 12 years old. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. What hills did you grow up riding? Yeah, we grew up. Age? Yeah, Powder Ridge, a little uh, a bump, 300 vertical feet. Um Never had any powder. It was just ice and, and man-made snow. But um, it was something for us to ride on, and it was it was all we needed at the time. Mm-hmm. That's that's killer. Well, I kind of want to run it forward because we have so much to talk about in the show, and you have so many cool footnotes here. So one thing I think that's cool is you kind of you did your whole career, and you, you had no financial support at the beginning. And I would like you to kind of paint a picture of those struggles and, and how your arc of early arc of your career started. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, looking back, it was the best thing that happened where my dad and mom didn't front the money because when I was growing up in Minnesota, I had this dream to be the snowboarder and it seemed so far away. You know, we would watch these snowboarding videos, technical difficulties and decade and true life and resistance. And, you know, you knew it was possible, maybe, but it seemed so far away. But, you you know, at the end of the day, my parents could have helped me financially and they just said Daniel if you want to do it go for it but you got to figure it out and I think that that looking back helped put some grit on my mm-hmm. shoulders just to say it's fucking gonna be up to you you yeah. know and that uh I think sometimes is taken away from some other kids and and I as a parent now with my kids I'm, I'm trying to think about that when mm-hmm. they want to do something can't just solve all the problems for them you, mm-hmm. know, you gotta let them fight you gotta let them build that grit up and and try to help them help help them you know figure it all out totally that's that's great advice they gave you the blessing to go do it but you had to figure it out on your own yeah you know I went around and told everyone I want to be a pro snowboarder being young and kind of naive and I got a lot of pushback a lot of the t- parents and teachers you know were like you know you're from Minnesota that's, good luck bud yeah yeah good luck with that and especially and small town Minnesota small town Minnesota massive resistance and then I went and told my parents and my dude my dad I can still remember it and he just said go for it you can do it you know, and, th- and that piece right there, I just was like, I fucking bit it. I'm like, he says I can do it. I can do it. And uh, yeah, it changed my life. Well, I want to fast Powerful. forward to uh, the just college area. Uh, like, I know that you, you were kind of pushed into college on with it wasn't what you wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. I was dating this girl in high school and her mom thought the college was the way to go. And I already had been trying to pursue this career and it just hadn't been any motion yet. There hadn't been any sponsorship. So I went to college for uh, one semester and it was, it ended up being the biggest mistake of my life because when I got to Salt Lake city that year, I would move to Salt Lake city every winter. Mm-hmm. And you know, my summer I'd be back in Minnesota. I'd work for my dad. I'd work these odd jobs. I'd, I'd detassel corn. I'd fucking be doing landscaping. I'd save whatever I could, but I went to college for that half a year and got out late to Salt Lake City. And by the time I got to Salt Lake City, I felt behind everybody else that I normally moved out with. So I was out there pushing, trying to make it happen, trying to move quicker and trying to move quick in snowboarding can be dangerous. And I ended up dislocating my kneecap at the rail gardens on the double set. I was doing a front board pretzel out and I landed in a rut and my kneecap just popped. And I was like 20, 21 years old. And at that time, dude, I mean, that, my, that, that was the end of that year for me. 
my, my season ended that year. And, you know, I ended up, instead of going back to Minnesota, I went to California to live with my brother because I didn't want to go back and get the banter from the wife's, you know, or sorry, girlfriend's mom and friends just being like, dude, reality check, you're 21. You just had an, a, 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 an injury that ended your season. So I went to California and I ended up getting a night job working at Abercrombie and Fitch, folding clothes. Let's I slapped some respect on that. <laughs> yeah, respect. Young breezy at Abercrombie and Fitch. That's, yeah. a, that's sick. I, yeah, I, I got out there because when I went to California, that girl broke up with me, which was great, right? And I'm like, dude, I got to meet another girl and I wanted some money. So I went to Abercrombie and Fitch to try to make some money and meet, meet a girl. Wow, that's a, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I can see the mindset there. Put that together. Yeah, I was folding clothes at night, working overnight. And, um, you know, I'd bike on the beach and I'd spend all my time just rehabbing my knee and, uh, you know, got through that year and ended up actually ended up dating this chick that now is on the Chicago Metley. Her name's Tori DeVito. If you check her out, ended up meeting her there and had a good year and it was fun. And, you know, looking back, it was, it was, it was, it was the biggest setback I had, but, um, you know, fully committed to the career. So pulled through. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. that's a, that's an interesting timeline. Cause you think about kids these days, they're, you know, they're, they want to be pro when they're 14, 15, 16, you know, seven, sometimes people are even washed up at age yeah. 21. Like you see that, you know, and here you are, you're 21, you're 22. You just had a career ending injury before your career even started. Yeah. And yeah. that's killer to not give up and just yeah. say, I'm going to keep going and doing this. Yeah. I think that was probably one of my best, you know, attributes was just the laser focus on making the career work, mm-hmm. just being 100% committed. And I never, even when that happened, when I was 21, I never doubted that I was still going to figure it out and make it work. It was just another setback. Mm-hmm. And there were so many setbacks along the way before I actually got paid mm-hmm. that, you know, it, it just helps you build character, helps you become more of who you are and, and helps you put that work ethic in that I think is so critical, especially, you know, in, in life now. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's cool. As we talk about some, some kind of snowboard stuff here, when you look at your career, you're known for being Dan Breezy, you know, the guy that jumped the crazy gaps that hit the huge real snow spots. But when I'm thinking back at those early days, you know, you're, you're an ATV. I remember you would show up at super park and hit the biggest jumps and always spin off the biggest jumps. And then you'd, you'd film those parts with bald Eagle. And it was kind of like an ATV type of thing. And I, I uh, sometimes feel like maybe you don't get enough credit for, for that, that, that side of you. And so, uh, it's just cool to think back on, on that, that early explain how you kind of got your, your foot in the door with those, those type of things. Yeah, for sure, dude. I bald Eagle was massive, you know, Mike Tinas and Emmett Clocker, or the dudes in central Minnesota. And uh, yeah, definitely. And um, those guys putting together these videos year after year when we were young was our platform to try, you know, to put these video parts out and show the industry, even if it was, wasn't a massive amount of viewers, what we were able to do. And year after year, we would film video part after video part after video part with Bald Eagle Productions. And it was, it was really the platform for us in central Minnesota to have a chance to try to, to, to blow up. And, um, you know, after a bunch of years there and I moved into Salt Lake city, I mean, I moved to Salt Lake city when I graduated from high school and I worked jobs and filmed and jobs and filmed year after year. And for four years, nothing happened. I had injuries like I just talked about. And I mean, we filmed, but just, you never had any sponsorship help. You know, you were coming up, but you were, you weren't at the level yet where brands were like, fuck yeah, we're going to pay this dude. You, you just weren't good enough. There wasn't enough enough behind you for them to say, let's let's roll. And that was, you know, humbling for me. I thought I was going to move to Salt Lake City and be a pro the next year. I swear to God, I did. And when I got out there and I started to see these other riders and I started to see the level they were at, I realized where I wasn't. I re- realized how far I needed to go yet. 
And um, I think that those four years of grinding made made the appreciation that much better when it finally happened, you know. And another shout out to my good friend Mike Pettit. Mike Pettit oh, is yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you. He, uh, he he had the foresight, and he saw. He's like, "Hey, dude, Breezy, you're good enough. You should go to the Aspen Open, and you should compete." And I'm like, "Dude, I'd love to go, but I got to drive to Aspen. I got to, you know, pay for the gas, enter the fee, get the hotel room." And I'm like, "I can't do it." And he's like, "Fuck it, I'll pay for it. Let's go." Really? Yeah, dude. Yes. Such and a G. Yeah, such a fucking G, dude. And he throws me in his car. We drive through the night, and uh, show up there the next morning enter there's like 250 kids that enter anyone can enter it's an open Mm -hmm. and he covers my fee i think and i ride that day and i I luckily make finals i think i finished like top 10 but you know there were a few kids that beat me and that night i went back to the hotel room and i just visualized you know i just do this is what i wanted to do this was this was the one thing (coughs) and uh came back the next day and won yeah and wow yeah got yeah won that contest and that was kind of like that was really the launch that was the beginning I would say, you know, and it won 2,500 bucks. Wasn't, wasn't a lot, not a lot, but at the time it was fucking a lot. You yeah, know, it's a lot like, when you're working like medium or low income wage or whatever. What's it? Yeah. What, well, what's the word I'm looking all, for here? Uh, yeah. When you're below the poverty line, yeah. or whatever, you know, you're not making min- <laughs> minimum, minimum wage. wage. Minimum, minimum wage. Yeah. Yeah. Is the word I'm Go, looking going for. back to, uh, basically we earlier, I remember at this time you drove, uh, Plymouth Breeze. Plymouth Breeze. Yeah, dude. <laughs> dude. Dan Breezy and the Plymouth Breeze used to cruise. Yeah, right? dude. Yeah. Was Plymouth. there any correlation with Breezy and the Plymouth Breeze? It just happened. No, I went to the dealership one day with my dad. I looked at the car. I had five grand. The car was five grand. I'm like, I'll take it. That was Let's it. Let's go. Yeah, dude. Ripped that car for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, once, once I got that first little bit of cash, I put it back in my career and um, I ended up getting a call about a week later from Blue Montgomery. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard whispers like, Tina's called me or some, you know, Mike, my buddies were like, Blue's going to call you. He's going to call you. And I remember thinking, cool, when's he going to call? You know, in, in a week then, it's not that long in business, but I feel like, is he actually going to call? And boom, he called one day and he's like, hey, heard about the Aspen Open. You should come to Trans World Team Challenge. Mm-hmm. And that was the first real main event. We went to, I think it was in Tahoe, Team Challenge. We dressed up as a bunch of nuns and we ended up not actually doing that well. Someone missed a trail grab, which we, we got kicked out, but ended up shooting with Nick Hamilton on a kicker. And I was just, I was like fucking blown away. I'm like, dude, I'm at an event shooting with Nick Hamilton. Two weeks ago, I was trying to figure out my career. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I got the invite to go to Super Park. And that's kind of where, at the time, I was in my park game. You know, I, I know that people remember me for my real snow and these big features, but the majority of my career was not those features. It was riding backcountry park, normal size features, right? Mm-hmm. And and those big features just came to be kind of that moment where my career was at its peak and it just kind of got a lot of publicity. But the majority of my career was spent, you know, average snowboarding style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, that, and that's killer. And going back just to footnote, uh, Blue Montgomery is the founder or owner of uh, Capita Snowboards for people that don't know. Um, and so just to fill, fill that little bit of information in, so that's where you got your start with Capita. Yeah. And, uh, the one thing that's really comes full circle with that is we did in, upon doing our research for the show, we, we had a meeting with a lot of the, the guys over at C3 and that we were on a big zoom call because I was, I originally was going to call Johan and then everybody kind of came in and it was awesome. Uh, and basically he mentioned that you guys worked at the same Fridays on Foothill and so he, you know, founder founder of Capita, he worked at this this Fridays when he was trying to make it on Foothill, and then you, you know, years later, I'm sure you probably got a soft spot in his heart for that that yeah. Fridays situation. <laughs> yeah, man, a lot happened at Fridays there. You know, I ended up meeting my now my wife there. We mm-hmm. was bossing tables. It wow. Was, yeah, my jobs in Salt Lake City. I worked at Blockbuster one year. 
I worked at Payway one year, bussing tables. I worked at Red Lobster as an alley fucking coordinator where I put the food together. It was brutal. My hands got burned and all the people, the cooks were like, quicker, faster. And my hands are getting burned. And then I worked at TJ Fridays one year, <laughs> bussing tables and, and being a waiter. And, um, yeah, you know, those those years were, they were great years. Looking back, I'm so grateful for them and so grateful for, ah, damn, riding with the brands I got to ride with and Clocker and Tinas and Blue. I mean, just looking back, I'm blown away at how it all came together, mm-hmm. you know. It just came together in a beautiful way. Going back along these same lines in the in the the mentality you mentioned earlier briefly is that invest in yourself, right? And, and you look at a lot of people that how do I do it? How do I make it? And and I I find from my perspective, a lot of people are sitting waiting around, waiting for the well. I can't do it. The brand didn't give me any money to do it. I can't do this. My brands don't support me. Or I can't do it. And 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 I love that. In, until you get to that point like you just don't take no for an answer. You're like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to eat pe- peanut butter and jelly. Like tell me about the, pe- the peanut butter and jellies and all dude, that. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Your point is incredible, Chris, you know, put, put in the wor- wood first to get the fire, right? Yeah. Put in the effort. And I mean, yeah, we sacrificed everything. Like I, you know, PBJ was literally breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it was for two reasons. One, it was cheap, but two, it was quick. Like I didn't have to spend time trying to cook. I, you know, I told you guys earlier, I hate cooking. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not down with cooking. I love eating the food and I love when people are good at cooking, but yeah. I, I just don't like doing it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was literally peanut butter and jelly. I'd go to the store and grab like five loaves of bread, like four, you know, peanut butter and jellies and, and uh, peanut butter and jelly. And dude, you're set for like a month. And, um, <laughs> you know, those are, those are some things where you, you those are some things where I think a lot of people wouldn't do. And, and, and it just comes about down to how bad you want it. I mean, yeah. really at the end of the day, dude, it's purely about how bad you fucking want, want mm-hmm. it, you know, and, and you'll always know how bad you want it by what you're willing to do and what you're willing to give up. And, you know, you can, you can gauge that based on your actions you're taking on a day to day basis. God, that's such a common theme between people sit in that yeah. chair. So many people when, when, you know, for it's fascinating, it's fascinating to dissect how you came from where people are at and get to where they are now. I, I love it. I love these conversations. And what always comes up is the, the determining, and there, there's so many factors and, and that's not, but one that is just always rises to the surface is the people that have the drive and the determination and that just that unwillingness to, to accept anything, but what the goal is for better or worse are always the ones that uh, seem to rise really high in their in their trade or their yeah, everyone who's we've talked to it's they just are not gonna back down whatever mm-hmm. it takes they're doing it yep I they're gonna tiger. rise to the I top the tiger yeah. relentless dude I wanted snowboarding so bad I was willing to die for it, it sounds extreme mm-hmm. but I didn't give a fuck dude this was happening period that's it and it it was it was a grind but when you got there it was worth it true. Okay, we're going to talk to you guys quickly about our new sponsor, Bub's Naturals. They are a collagen protein. That's a protein powder over that Bud's has in his hands there. And they also make all kinds of other great products. Which ones you into, Bud's? I like the uh, apple cider vinegar gummies, which are great for your gut health, and also the uh, MCT oil that goes in your coffee. Absolutely. Replaces any dairy creamer and put it in my coffee every morning. Mm-hmm. And they, they make all kinds of products, health and nutrition base. They're awesome. Jeremy Jones. He broke both of his legs in an avalanche, and he works out with me. I see him drinking Bub's proteins after every single time. He drinks the collagen, mixes it up in a shake, and uh, it, it's been a huge part of his recovery from both breaking both of his legs. And I drink it after I work out. helps you recover. And, you know, as we get older, we need to drink things like that if we want to be able to keep bored and if we want to be able to keep doing the things that we do. And you're supporting a great company. They're owned by snowboarders. It goes to... 10% of all profits go to charity, 
And then it's in honor of Bubs, a.k.a. Glenn, who was a Navy SEAL that lost his life, uh, d- you know, defending our country. So it's just a, all in all, we love uh, being behind this this company. It's awesome. If you head on over to bubsnaturals.com and use promo code BOMBHOLE, you will save 20% off. So head again, head on over to bubsnaturals.com. And what code, buds? Uh, BOMBHOLE, 20% off. So I want to pick up where we left off here and kind of jump back into you filmed for Bald Eagle, kind of more regional, great video, but it wasn't on the national scale of some of the big production companies. And then you got asked to film for Absinthe, correct? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually did, I filmed for First Kiss and then Pirates, oh, yeah. and then it came to Absinthe. Yeah, so Absinthe, I ended up filming two video parts. Um, you know, one was with Neverland and then Nowhere Now Here. And I would say, you know, for me, Nowhere was my favorite part I ever put out. And one I'm most proud of, and you know, I thought was probably my strongest part. Mm-hmm. And then that was, you know, this is pre real snow. So I remember one thing I want to run back to is like watching you film, and I'm not sure what video or era this was, but we were going up to uh, Logan, Tony Grove, and there's a there's a, ch- a cheese wedge there, a big one, and you know, known you've seen in all the videos, and you went, we went there in the spring, and you were putting up backside 1080s, and I just remember you battled that thing all day one day mm-hmm. and the next day th- at the end of the day you slipped the landing and then you went back and you did it the next day and yeah. like that's it just just me watching that i was just like this guy has more drive than anybody i've seen you know it was you just got beat up and then just got it you know yeah god damn if you just did, wouldn't get a trick and you wouldn't get that feeling of satisfaction Mm-hmm. It just, you had to go back. I just had to go back. I had to get to that point. And, and it was turned into more of like these battles where you just wanted to, to win, right? You just want to beat the feature. You want to get the trick. So, you know, we started to do things that maybe even were a little frowned upon, like slipping a backcountry landing. I mean, is that really what we're out there for? In all honesty, no. But at that point, I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I just want to land this trick. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, and even, even, even hitting a spring jump for people that aren't familiar, like landing in the corn snow of a spring jump isn't very inviting compared to a fresh cold powder you know that's like fun to jump into yeah like that's not a fun that's not a fun jump usually no no at that point you're just battling to get it because you're just angry right Mm -hmm. and another thing that was you know because i like talking about your backcountry stuff because you're so known for this other stuff like make sure we shed some light on on that and uh dude i remember you and bjorn i think it was you and bjorn but would take you would snowmobile out with a ton of stakes on the back of your snowmobile the the metal stakes and then caution tape and basically run like a freaking half mile, like, you know, however many hundred yard, like horseshoe around the landing. So snowmobilers wouldn't hit, yeah. right? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. We would spend, you know, a day or two building these kickers. And these jumps were massive. You would bust your back like six or eight dudes and you'd come back the next day and you'd have these guys who ripped through the landing and you'd have a three, four foot trench of sled neckers ripping your landing up so we were like dude we, we got to do something to prevent that so that was the that was the goal we'd bring some stakes out and rope it off and it actually worked you know kept our landings fresh and we'd come out there and they'd be they'd be butter oh. sometimes it seems like it's almost inviting for them though when they see that to go nail it really <laughs> yeah. but i've seen i've seen bjorn have some instances after that uh people went and ruined it but most times it worked right yeah. Oh, and yeah. they put those trenches in and it turns into cement. Yeah. Basically ruins your day. Yeah. Oh. I've, I've been on some of these builds too, and they're definitely like two two day builds. And he was building big jumps. Yeah. Yeah. What? Let's talk about the the biggest build. Oh, the biggest build. Bin Laden. Bin yes. Laden. <laughs> <laughs> I have a photo of Bin Laden we'll put up Dude. while we're talking about it. Yeah. That was, we, we got into a trap, you know, like we didn't realize the size it was going to be. 
And by the time you, you put in six hours of work, you're not just going to quit and walk away. This is not how we were. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you just keep going and you keep going and you keep going. And then, you know, we were like, fuck it, let's just hit this thing and just see what happens. And I, if I remember right, Bjorn hit it first, yep. Bjorn, you know, props to Bjorn for hitting that thing first. And, uh, yeah, um, he, uh, ended up like getting G'd out on the kicker and he didn't make it. So we're like, well, back to building. So we're now we're back to building, you know, for another three, four hours because I'm like, dude, I'm not trying that. There's no way. I'm compression not. was too gnarly. Yeah, compression was too gnarly. And I, the one thing that I always had, I thought that was a good, you know, piece to get through these problems without getting hurt is is just the work ethic. You know, going back to it, I didn't care if I had to add an extra three, four feet to the jump to make it work. I'd rather do that than get broke off. You know, in mm-hmm. the times where you get broke off and you're sitting out for six months, that pain is 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 so not comparable to just a little extra work mm-hmm. to make the feature work. So I think that's probably part of the reason I I was so focused on making sure the spots were were legitimately set up. Mm-hmm. So you didn't have that possibility of saying, fuck, I rushed it. You know, I, I did that in the past and I learned that lesson early on and I was like, no more rushing anything ever. Mm-hmm. Spot's got to be perfect. Otherwise I'm not sending it. So, I mean, you, you'd live by that as much as you could, but dude, yeah, that's, that spot was gnarly. It was yeah. like a seven day build, something like that. Yeah. For like a one trick. Yeah. For one, <laughs> for one trick. A three second like, back 180. Yeah. It was like three tries and it was done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I couldn't hit it again. I was like, what am I going to do? I'm yeah. just saying this thing's just too gnarly. And you know, we. Yeah, that's part of that's part of like going out and building the part though. You don't know. You yeah. don't know how this jump's gonna go. Mm-hmm. You you do your best. You're like, yeah, it looks like we can make it. It's a hundred foot gap. We can make that. You know, there's a massive runway. Let's let's start. And one thing led to another and it was a battle for, you know, the history books. Oh, yeah, yeah. the jump was the size of a house. And during that seven day period is when they pulled Bin Laden out of the cave. And that's why we named it Bin mm-hmm. Bin Laden. <laughs> dude, that's Charlebois right there, dude. Charlebois always got the stuff. Or was that was that Charlebois or was that you? I might I don't know. Stuff? Bob Plum was yeah, up there okay, too. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of banners. A lot of banter bosses yeah. up there, so who knows where yeah. it all came from. Yeah, yeah, Charlie Boy, I feel like he he's definitely got good for coining a jump. Name. He got oh, sun poisoning up there. He was like <laughs> up in a cave up there. Like he would still come up, even though he was like sick from sun poisoning. He'd come up and try to dig and then sit back in his little hut. Yeah, yeah it was uh, it was crazy. That, nuts. That's also a good thing for people that are unfamiliar highlighting. You know, you see a video part, you see a clip go by that takes three seconds, and, and you don't know what the goes word. into that three-second clip. Yeah, what it took to get that clip. I like what he was saying about building a spot, though, because that's one thing I learned with, Di- with Dan is you might go look at a feature, and it's insane, and you're like, how is this rider going to do this? But then you build it, and you build it right, and then you're like, oh, okay, this is possible. And I think that's one thing we did with Dan was always build everything correct. Another thing, the the photo on the wall, sorry to interrupt, the photo on the wall in there, and you had a, a great uh, story about his process on how to get, get there. Right? Yeah. Well, on the, the, uh, the, the one in my office. The disconnected rails that are, yes. with that chokes out at the bottom there. Yeah, yeah, he'll go to a spot. I mean, you should talk about yeah. your process a bit. Yeah, yeah. We You know, the spot that eastone you're talking about maybe you can throw a photo up for the listeners mm-hmm. but yep. yeah i mean this i just looked at the spot right now and i remember hitting it but dude like right now i just my stomach starts to cringe thinking about jumping on that thing mm-hmm. but if i had to go back right now and i had it was life on the line you got to figure this out i'd go back to exactly what we did and that's start with the bottom two you know work your way into these features mm-hmm. how do you just jump on a feature that's got broken handrails all the way down with you know bleachers that are razor sharp on both sides of cement walls at the end like you just don't do that if you want to have a career that lasts a long time, unless you are such a badass and you are so on your game, you might, but that's not my style. My style was really slow. And, um, you know, having the right crew around that was willing to work with me on that stuff was critical. You know, if I didn't have the right crew and they're like, dude, you just got to go for it, it just wouldn't have worked. 
you know, so we'd start with the bottom two sets of rails and boom, boom. And then we moved to the third one, boom, boom, boom. And then we're like, all right, let's go for it. And at that time, at least you're like, okay, all I got to do is add one more rail at the end and you have a, a way more likely chance of making it. I think it only took like three, four times. Yeah, you usually get them quick after yeah. you did that process because right. you were so ready to actually do it. You're kind of trained up. So yeah, that was critical. We did that so many times on so many different spots just to work our way into it, to stay healthy. Cause yeah. at, the end, at the end of the day, you got to stay healthy. You can't just, you know, be a one and done kind of guy. It's funny going out with younger crews, fast forwarding to my future shooting. The one thing I would pass on is, you know, you have to build a spot correctly. Yeah. And if you don't, you're going to get hurt. Yeah. So be smart. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if it's a 20 stair handrail, you set it up and it's built right pretty quickly. So it, yeah. you know, a ton of comes down to your spot selection and, 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 and the, the, there's critical, there's always critical spots where you're like, this could fuck me up. Yeah. This, this is, these are two things. And if you see those and you know those, now you can start to build it to, to try to, you know, prevent those catastrophes well risk mitigation as they might exactly call it in uh corporate culture so going back to corporate that type of culture. stuff it, let's just jump right into x games real snow because that you were on the forefront of x games real snow with louis parody it was not it didn't exist before you guys didn't have a it, there wasn't a formula but snowboarding was getting the street snowboarding specifically was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and then all of a sudden there's this thing it's like you need a minute of footage and we're going to judge it. You're going to win a bunch of money. You're going to get an X Games medal. And I think what that did is instead of going saying, I need to film video part, it's like I need a minute of footage, which is what, 10 clips maybe? Yeah. Give or take? Yeah, about. And so you're you're being very methodical about 10 bangers. Instead of being like, I'm going to get a clip today, a clip tomorrow. And, and that process that you're describing is perfect for, okay, I'm, I'm going to invest in this spot because this one is a banger. And I'm going to take the necessary steps to get the A grade clip, right? Do you, do you want to elaborate on that at all? Yeah, I mean that was exactly when Real Snow came out. I felt like the contest was designed for for me and for our writing style. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm like, dude, this is like the best thing that could have ever happened at the best time. You know, mm -hmm. I just came out with this nowhere part, I believe, and we had a couple roof gaps already, and it just I, I was fortunate to be invited in that first year. I mean, man, that was that was so I felt so lucky, especially with the dudes that were in it that year. You know, it was Louis, Nick, and myself, and then you had the heavyweights, Jeremy, JP, Seth, mm -hmm. and um, you know, I think that was it. Maybe there's just like six of us, and uh, yeah, I mean, we we would we would at that point, it's like all you needed is eight hammers, nine hammers, that's it. So instead of just being like, I'm going to get another shot, we have to pick the right feature. And sometimes it would take two, three days to get it done right. You know, I started rolling around with a waiver release form, an insurance policy, and just walking up to these owners, sometimes these spots and be like, hey, can we film here? This is what we're doing. It's for X Games. And they'd look at the policy and someone would be like, yeah, legit. And I'd sign it and we'd have access to be able to film. And that probably worked 50% of the time. It worked more than I thought it would. But that helped us be able to come in and just relax and just, you know, do what we needed to do instead of rushing to try to get it all done. So, um, yeah, I mean, those those spot selections were, were, were the most important, along with your crew, dude. The crew during real snow, you either make you or break you. And I was so goddamn fortunate to have a good crew for those first four. And, um, you know, we had a little bit of challenge with the last one. But overall, I mean, the crew was just, you know, killer. I had killer on my team. You know, yeah, let's give Randy yeah. a yeah. big old air horn. Dude, that guy, he built out my trailer. You know, he, he he put together everything. And he was just kind of the front runner for spots. You know, he he rode too. He was damn good. Ripper. Yeah, yeah, ripper. And um, he just, you know, he was he was he was instrumental and I, I wish I, you know, I could have done more for him, but give him a lot of credit for being there. Absolutely. And, you know, Chris Duralis too. And Bjorn Linus, like these dudes were, they were everything. Mm -hmm. They were, they were they a solid crew. Well, a couple of things there. You kind of quickly 
breezed over, no pun intended, but your, your mobile assault vehicle, going back to investing yourself. Like, okay, there's, this is, street snowboarding is like on a, on a big platform. We could potentially win some X Games medals here. I'm going to buy an enclosed trailer and basically make like, we could also call it like the no excuses whip, you know, yeah. like the, just kind of like <laughs> fill the thing with every tool you could ever need from street snowboarding. What did you, what kind of things do you have in there? Shit. We had everything in there. I was so sick and tired of like water freezing up or not having a place for the winch or the shovels and shit being stolen. I'm just like, this is fucking such a joke. Like this is what we do. Like just get a trailer and put it all in one enclosed spot and make it legit. So we had ladders, we had winches, we had freaking gas, we had, we had torches, we had racks of snowboards, we had, you know, bindings, we had bungees, we had, we had shovels galore for everybody because no one could be like, oh, I don't got a shovel. Fuck that. We got shovels, dude. You know? <laughs> no excuses. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you had vests. For yeah, oh, oh, yeah. Vests. That's I where mean, the vests come from, yeah, for the record here. Yeah. You know, the like, you don't have a vest. I got a vest yeah, for you. <laughs> right. It, it just helped us not have to get the boot you know mm -hmm. i mean you're rolling around with a skidster we had skidster we were like dude let we can shovel our asses off for days or we can just get a skidster and leverage the power and do like 10 dudes work in an hour mm -hmm. so we we rolled with a skidster and it had a little you know light we popped on it we had the the gear you guys are wearing i don't know if i wore a hard hat too often but we you know we had <laughs> we had the gear in it and it allowed us to be in front of authority and they didn't know you know, I mean, you got a you got a fifteen thousand pound machine on a public school, <laughs> so true, on, on the grass, and you're you know you're you're doing shit that is straight up illegal. I mean, it's it's in good intention, right? I mean, I'm I'm a good person. I'm not out to cause damage, but we're doing shit that's illegal, and you know that stuff really helped us just fly under the radar and get the job done. Yeah, no one's questioning you when you're out there with that machine, huh? No. And, the, and the vest is, there's, there's been some arguments over the years because I've been on a lot of street trips where people are like, dude, why are you wearing a vest? Vest is stupid, you know? Uh, Justin Meyer is cut from that sentiment. You'll never catch him wearing a vest. He's a, uh, there's a lot of, of people that, and, and I've, I've personally experienced, it's, it's like, look the part. Oh, they're just like, oh, that guy's a construction worker. Yeah. He's moving, yeah. he's shoveling. Yeah. Cool. Yep. And, and until they see the snowboard fly off the roof, yep. you're just a construction worker. Yeah. It no. makes a lot of sense. It gives you that's way it. more time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's just it's just to help you get the job done. You know, I mean, some guys would ride with it on. I never did. I, I wasn't a fan of that. Yeah. You know, it was just strictly to get to the point where you could ride. There's another tool. Yeah, just another thing to help you actually succeed. I mean, you got enough challenges already. You know, if there's a way you can fit in and get the spot set up with vests and, and your shit, it, it made it easier. Now, I have a question. Out of all the photographers you shot with over the years, when it comes to moving snow, um, who do you think moved the most snow and least snow uh, out of all of them? Just out of, curio just out of curiosity. I mean, being be total transparency, um, Andy and Easton didn't move a ton of snow. <laughs> <laughs> they did not. But, but dude. <laughs> Come on, dude. Bin Laden, that counts for a lot of moving, yeah, dude. Yeah, you talked. And it was... It was <laughs> Dude, it, and I loved it. I, I'm not kidding, dude. I fucking loved it, dude. I, I loved when you came around. It, <laughs> you talked. That's what he's good at. See, I remember it differently, dude. I remember if you were on his crew and you didn't shovel, dude, you get a vibe. You could, no. feel, you could feel the vibe. Let's, let's be clear. There were vibes for people who didn't qualify. But for dudes like Eastone and Andy. Yeah, like, we kind of got the pass. Like, these guys got the pass. That's just the way it was. I didn't feel the vibe. I saw other people feel the vibe. Yeah, we vibe. vibed. You got a vibe. I mean, dude, if you're there, put in the effort. Mm -hmm. If you're you know a unique photographer that we need there, you might 
get the slide. Uh, speaking with Andy yesterday, he said, <laughs> my my back pain mysteriously went away after I stopped <laughs> shooting with Dan Breezy. Oh, dude, that's <laughs> bullshit. That is such <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, good stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's killer. I love that. I don't even know how to respond to that, dude. But yeah. <laughs> There no was response. one I, I've, I've heard uh, I've heard old wives tales of uh, a one build, though, that we while we're on the subject of moving absurd amounts of snow. I heard that the 50 back three was 52 truckloads, pickup truck fulls of snow uh, from the, the closeout rail that you did 50 back three on. Oh, oh, oh yeah. That I, I don't know thing. If, that, that, if that morphed, but I've, I've, I like the 52 truckloads. I hope it is because it's a fun <laughs> thing to, to visualize. Yeah, I mean, let's live with that number, but there's no way it's 52. <laughs> <laughs> there there might have been 15 or 20. Which felt like 52, okay. but, but no. Yeah, that, that closeout in Duluth you're talking, right? I'm going to say it's 52 just for the yeah, – Let's go with 52. I like that for, number. Uh, it, make, it makes it sound like we were more badass than we were. Or, or I guess, I don't know, crazy. But, yeah. no. That, yeah, that was a sick clip. The 50 back three is huge. The one in Duluth on the top of the hill there. The top huh? ropes. I yeah. love that spot. Yeah, that was one of those spots where I rode out, and it just felt good. You know, there's some of the spots you're at, and you're like, fuck, that was cool, but it didn't feel like I thought it would. That one I wrote out, I'm like, damn, did that feel nice? That was big. That was money. Yeah. That was a cool spot. That was one of the spots where I was tripping out. I remember, you know, before you hit these spots, you sometimes, like, before you set it up one night, you go to bed, and you come back the next day, and you're laying in bed, and you start tripping. Oh, yeah. I remember I called Blue that day. I'm like, Blue, I'm a little nervous. And he's like, dude, if you're nervous, fucking step down. Do, do not push it. Yeah. yeah. And we came back the next day, and we kind of went back to the basics again. You're like, spot set up right. You know, it's, it's a huge ass drop. Yeah. You got to close out and we started with the lower ropes and you got that and you're like, damn dude, it, let's, let's give it one shot. And mm -hmm. you give it one shot. I think maybe killer even went first, dude. Killer was gnarly. Yeah. And we worked our way into it. And, and man, once you, once you got it, it just felt so good. Mm -hmm. yeah, once was, you see someone go first, huh, you're like, all right. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Whoever's it's going on. first, dude, if you're going first, you got some balls. I, I, also going back to the street snowboarding as well, going, you compare to like park riding, you show up, you hit the rail. And you're just, it's set up, you, the park crew sets it up for you. Shout out to park crews. Those guys are the unsung heroes of snowboarding. And so basically you are, you're not really, you just kind of trust the feature in front of you. Whereas I find that in, in snowboarding, street snowboarding specifically, I always had a similar process where you, you get familiar. You got to get familiar with your surroundings. You feel it out. You're, is this the right speed? Maybe I'll, I'll do a board slide and pop over to the outside or take it to the stairs to feel it out. And I think that that, that uh, process of getting familiar, at the end of the day, it's about confidence, right? You want to have confidence and going about things. Instead of jumping on terrified, legs shaking, all right, full committed, there is something cool to be said about the, the process of, of becoming comfortable with your surroundings. Yeah, right? yeah, that takes time. That's experience, you know. I think as, as you come up from your beginning to being a pro dude, you found ways, like you're talking about, to get into these spots with keeping yourself healthy. You know, mm -hmm. and that is experience and time takes takes experience. Beautiful. Another thing we we breezed over real quick also was talking about essentially walking in through the front door. Like you went, you wanted to go to a spot. Everybody's like, "Oh, this is a Sunday spot. We're going to go to this this building that has this roof or this rail on Sunday because it's closed on Sundays, and we're going to wait for nobody to be there." And then your mentality saying, "I'm going to walk in through the front door." And I'm just going to explain exactly what's happening. I'm going to say I'm filming for X Games, which has some type of weird draw and effect on people that changes it. And just just be totally upfront and be like, hey, 
this is this is what we're doing and it's, it's just incredible how that works right yeah dude i mean you you can look people in the eye and they start to get a sense of trust like these are good people you know then they look online and they're like i'm familiar with x games they see your name they're like fuck this dude's standing here like he's actually a legit dude and you do ideally you roll in on a friday and they're stoked because it's the end of the week. So you oh, get them, you, psychology. You, you, get them, you get them in a good mood and they're like, yeah, cool. If they say no on Friday, you come back Sunday anyways and you're yeah. doing it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So if you, if you can set up and, and you're not doing that at every spot, but the spots that you really want, you, you got to put a little thought process into how you're going to get it done. Mm-hmm. That yeah. no slide pretzel specifically in the, in the mine, I was kind of thinking of, you know, that big yellow rail that's suspended. Oh yeah. The oh yeah. No slide oh. 270 drop. Like, dude, that was a crazy I'm spot. Gnarly, but like, you're never going to get, you know, they give you permission to hit that, right? Dude. So this spot was, it, it's the granite company in Cold Spring, Minnesota, a mega million dollar company. And my, I'm really good friends with everybody in that town. And um, I'm really good friends with another guy who owns a big business right next door. And he's like, you will never, I'm telling you right now, you'll never get permission. And I'm like, fuck that. We're getting permission. I go in the front door. I know someone who works there and we sit down and we have a meeting by the end of it. They're like, good to go. That dude who, you know, I've known forever, he's just like, I don't know how you did it. And I think sometimes you just you just get lucky. You know, I think people just get a sense of, you, you know, this is this person's a good person. And they're mm-hmm. just here to, you know, do a good job. But, but what ended up actually happening is we filmed it. And then later I got a call from the guy. Once the owner of the Top Dog heard about it, he's like, I, you guys never should have approved that. So we got the right guy in the right day. Yeah. Oh, really? So the real boss would have just shut you guys. Would have shut us down for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about it, from their perspective, yeah. they're not really getting a whole lot out of yeah, that. Yeah, what do like, they get out of it? <laughs> what are you going to do for their business? You know, <laughs> nothing. Sure, nothing. you can slide this crane sure. or whatever it was. So there's a, this looks like the most death-defying, scary thing ever done on like a sketchy mine. That is everything about this is sketchy, but. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Were they all out there watching you? No, you know, it was kind of quiet. They told us to come back on the on the weekend, and it, we, we ran it pretty low-key. Sounds like you got the right guy. Yeah, we did. We got the right guy, and I luckily had some dudes who could move a massive amount of snow because it was like it was a crane that was like a 25, 30-foot drop, and, you know, there was no snow around anywhere, and um, Andy didn't have to shovel one load on that one because they hauled it all in <laughs> for him. So, you know. <laughs> Obviously, if you're from uh, central – uh, Minnesota, you're going to know some people that know how to move some heavy equipment That's or know it. how to do it yourself. That's right. Know? That's right. <laughs> That's it. So another thing too, when we were in the meeting with the C3 guys, uh, I don't, I think this came up, but somebody was like, yeah, how do the, how do you find these spots? And, and the one that I believe you shot, the, we like to call the shot out of a cannon. Yeah. The cannon. Cannon. Um, yeah. Holy uh, shit. How did you find that spot specifically? Yeah. We were up in UP, upper peninsula, Michigan, renting a skidster. Because we were coming into film. Which is a bobcat, bobcat. if people are unfamiliar, yep. just to yep. clarify. That's right, a bobcat. And the owner of the company looks us up, and he's like, dude, this is epic. You know, some people, most of these people that had these machinery companies, these heavy machinery companies, thought snowboarding was rad. Mm-hmm. And they do a little research, and all of a sudden, they're like your best friends. And they want to roll with you. They want to show you the city. They, they invite us into their house for, like, dinner. You know, mm-hmm. like, six of us are rolling into their home for dinner. And he's like, at dinner, he's like, hey, I got this thing in my back property. It's like 60 acres of, of field, and, and I want to show it to you. And he's like, I got sleds. It'll be fun. It snows deep. And honestly, I'm like, there's no fucking way there's going to be anything worth hitting out there. But I'm like, dude, snowmobiles, all the crew is stoked, like Killer and 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 Krister. And they're like, dude, it'd be fun to sled. So I'm like, cool, let's just go snowmobiling and, and look at him, you know, entertain this thing. And we roll out there, and I'm looking at this thing when you show up, and I'm just like, what in the fuck is this thing? <laughs> and how can we make it work? So, you know, it just kind of was pure luck, pure luck, that one specifically. Yeah. And we really did have dinner at the guy's house before, after as well, after he got the shot. And they would bring us out soup and hot chocolate. And 
Dude, and it yeah. was like a seven-day process waiting for the wind, and the wind would just haul through that <sighs> that right. cannon oh, thing. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, it was just like the wind just had a way. It would like, there's no way it could hit it because the wind just went through the tube and it would push you yeah. forward or back, whichever way it was going. Dude, and then I don't know how it happened, but Christer ended up being the first guy to hit it. Christer Alice. He yeah, like, Christer ended up like, I'll go first. And we were standing up there looking down, and I had a pretty mu- good amount of practice hitting cliffs in the back country. Step down. Yeah, basically. step down, and you got to go slower than you think. And he's like, I need to go. I need to start there, and I need to go X speed. And he started doing test runs, and I'm like, dude, slow it down. You're going to go way too fast. He's like, no, I'm not. I got it. And he overshot that son of a bitch. And, dude, he luckily, you know, landed and rolled. Yeah. But, dude, it was yeah, he it cleared was, the hole, it was like a 45-foot drop to pretty much flat. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it was gnarly. It was really gnarly. But, yeah, once we cracked it, we hit it, you know, not, not a ton of times. We probably hit it five, six times each. The only way you could get up there was with the scissors lift. Mm-hmm. So it was, like, this huge process. The only way you could build a landing that was even close to that size was with, like, a back, like a, a, a loader. A like front-end loader. Yeah, not, not like a skidster, but, like, a loader. And, you know, they built it for us. The guy who was um, owned the company that had all the quick equipment, they were just like, yeah, we'll do whatever you need. I don't remember if I haven't paid the guy. <laughs> you had to bring snow up to the tube, too, Yeah, right? that was the With other the thing. Scissor. That was the other thing. There was zero snow up in the pipe, up in the tube. So they bring out another machine, and they're like, oh, I'll just put a huge bucket on this, like, machine that has this massive arm. And they started just raising massive amounts of snow up, and we would shovel it out. That's yeah. insane. We had so much equipment. Went so into much that. equipment. I don't know. I don't, and I don't think it was any money. Yeah, it didn't cost any money. The uh-uh. guy was just so excited. I think he gave you a discount on the Bobcat, he, too. He actually he so gave like, it to us for free because we made a little free. edit. Yeah, we made Justin Turkowski was like the master edit. He's like, hey, if we make an edit for you for like five minutes of us using this thing, which he's filming anyways, we get it for free. So pretty rare that we paid for it. This is, so the, cool. this is a young sharpening his teeth at wheeling and dealing. Right yeah, here. true, huh? Those full, the early stages. Full wheeling and dealing. <laughs> yeah, you know, personality and just coming across as being a personable, you know, honest person and, you know, your integrity and you, you, you know, people sense it. Yeah. That's true, I yeah. think so. So we're going to do a quick cut to our Patreon questions. Uh, these are submitted from our Patreon members that are a huge support to the show. And, uh, yeah, Bud's hit it. See what we got here. First, I just want to say thank you to all the Patreon members. And uh, here's a question for Dan from Paul Kelly. You were the boss of large caps and huge features. First, what inspired you to take your riding to these types of features in that level? Second, why do you think the mega features in the streets have died off? First, it just kind of naturally evolved. You know, it wasn't like we went set out to do it necessarily, but going back to it, I was, I wanted my career to go so bad. I, I didn't, I, I didn't care. You know, I just wanted it to go and it took a while to really, really move it until you started to turn some heads and be unique. You know, you got to be unique in the snowboarding industry if you want to get paid and you want to be the real deal. So it kind of naturally just evolved that way. Um, why it's not around anymore. Number one, it's super dangerous. Um, I, number two, I think it, it takes kind of a unique mindset. And, and number three, I think snowboarding has, which is in, in awesome, is that it's it's a little bit more of a, you know, uh, a core group right now. And, you know, it seems to me, and, and I mean, this might not be right, but this is my opinion of why it's gone back, you know, down or, or in that direction. I shouldn't even say back or down, but just in that direction. Um, it's just uh, a little more core. You know, I was thinking about this. Yeah, me too. As well. And, um, Bud, do you, you have a take? I want to hear your take. I have a take. I think uh, a lot of people, because sometimes people talk shit on the stuff we were doing out there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because they just didn't want to do it. They didn't want to have to be put <clears throat> in that position to do something that gnarly because it was so crazy. One, the work ethic, they don't, not everyone has that. You know, they're snowboarders, they're stoners. They can't kind of put together what you put together. 
And then two, like, man, there's pretty high risk. I mean, some of those gaps, the risk is death. Yeah. You mess, true. like that last one in Duluth, man, you mess up. Dude. If you go in the pit, you're dead. There's, yeah. there's no other yeah, way no, around it. Right. Yep. People yeah. aren't snowboarding like, uh, to. Another footnote I'd like to add. That's a gr- that's a great point, and I think there's there's a lot of layers to that. And going back to the the core aspect is a huge part. I think spot selection and trick and and not having to rent equipment and kind of you know it all depends on your your taste, your flavor, yeah. what you're into. And I think at the time I was just thinking about what fuels that, and obviously real snow fuels that, but also magazines were big back mm. then, right? So if you think about a magazine, if you're going to hit a roof gap, you know, you're like, damn, I could maybe get a cover. I could, if this is a big spot, like you, we were kind of bred through people like Andy Wright and yourself. And, and it was like, oh, I got a big spot. Like, I know this is going to go in the magazine. And at the time there's photo incentive and getting in the magazine is a huge deal. Getting a banger photo is a huge deal. Now, when you look, our magazine industry is is really got the life sucked out of it. And and the people don't value that photo in a magazine like they once did. Do you dude, think that adds to it? Chris, I think you nailed it on the head. Yeah, that's good. You know, I, I will say too, when you're coming up and there's influence from photographers, you're, you're trying to please, you yeah. know? And I know when we roll up to a handrail and Andy wouldn't get out of the car and, and Easton <laughs> would be like another handrail, you'd stop looking at handrails as much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, X Games did have an effect on that as well. You know, 50K is thrown in front of you and you haven't ever fucking made any money or you're starting to maybe a little bit. So, you know, but yes, Chris, massive, massive, check, yeah. massively uh, sway was from, was from photographers and just something that kind of knew at the time. Yeah. What's funny for me, though, is I could go out with Dan, get in building gap and be hyped. But then I can go out with Scotty Stevens or Rav, and their style would make, and their spot selection would make a different type of photo. That's a just great, as exciting that's a great for point. me, yeah. you know? Yep. And so maybe some people looked at, like, oh, I could do that, or I could do that. I'm going to try to do this. Dude, What's Scotty Stevens doing? I, I, I honestly was a little bit jealous always of, of that in the sense that they could go to a spot that was so chill and, you know, have you know, shot in a magazine and not, and I'm not, not saying chill because damn, are they talented dudes? Yeah. And God, I love Stevens, like the man. Um, but you know, you, you hear you, you, what was expected from my brands when I signed a contract was to have more of like this breezy style snowboarding. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I was about to, it wasn't, I, I actually really did like it. You know, that's what was fun. It, it made me feel good. And I got, when I got a clip, but I, I really admired that they could make anything work. Yeah, and hit it a hundred times. That's you it. can't hit your spots a hundred times. No, fuck no, dude. Yeah, it's incredible. Well, there's, there's also around this time too. Going back to photographers, there is uh, all these. There's only a few. We'll call them marquee photographers, where you shoot, you know, you're getting a photo in a magazine, right? And you, you want to be in the magazines naturally. And so we'd be on, you know, you'd be on your crew, right? And 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 I'd be on my crew, which is videographs or whoever else. And we'd be, you know, Andy would be bouncing from you guys to us, and we'd be shooting East Stone and Ole Gagnon and all these photographers, but. We'd we'd always like be you know you'd be filming for your real snow. What, what would what would what did Breezy do on his trip? Like we, you know because it's always this big secret. It's it's Mission Impossible. Everything's on the hush. <laughs> but I asked him. I'm like I'm like Andy, why aren't you shooting with Breezy right now? And his response was, Well, you can't eat steak every night for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's the thing. When Dan called you, it was like. All right, let's do this because you knew it was going to be crazy. But you haven't had a stand-in shoveler once for him. <laughs> That's you had true. T Bird rolled to that uh, gap at right and right. High. Oh damn! I swear that was damn. forty-two truckloads. That was a lot. That was a lot, dude. And yeah. we had to drive him in through the stadium because we couldn't get snow right there. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And, and then you guys pretty much cleared the landing anyways. Austin Sweeten was there in yeah, the street Sweeten. still. 
yeah. Main Street stuff. Yep. That was a fun yeah. At, at one point, there was even uh, an Instagram I remember back in the day that was Breezy Spots. Did you ever I see probably that? Probably still yeah. up. I, I, yeah, I, saw I did the, see it. I saw the hashtag. I looked because I was like, I'm going to, and it's just literally ridiculous rails on top of roofs. They're yeah, like, like five the stories high. It's so sick. Yeah, what was yeah. your thoughts on that? I remember when it came out, I was like, who the fuck is this? And I still don't know who it is. <laughs> and and do, you guys, do you guys know who it is? I don't know. I have no idea. No one's ever messed up. If anybody knows who it is, hit me up on Instagram. I'm just curious who it was. But as as it came out, I, I started to like it more and more. You Me know? too. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, I cool. like, it's sick that you embrace it, you know, and it's it's good. It's, it's form flattery in some sense. Well, and, it's just sick how it's such big, gnarly, crazy, undoable spots, and you're just yeah. like, that would be sick, though. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> hell yeah. So and, I, you I know, we go on trips with Dan. Oh yeah, keep go going. on trips with a lot of crews. It's like you're scoping street level. You're looking for spots. Go on a trip with Dan. It's like look up because that would be mm-hmm. a whole different spot. Yeah, you got to look up. Yeah, and it, I, dude, I'm saying it came from watching Jeremy and JP. You know, uh, originally seeing them come from the resistance to true life, and you start seeing the features get bigger and bigger. It just felt like that was the way to continue per, to progress. You know, coming from Minnesota, those guys were the heroes. Um, yeah, they were the next. They were the, they were the top like ultra stars. So you're you're trying to emulate what they're doing, and it, as you go bigger, you just need bigger landings. Your your, your knees can't handle it, right? You can't yeah. jump off a thirty foot building and land flat. It's just not gonna work. So it just kind of seemed like it just evolved. Yeah, and I so, think the Quebec kids kept it going too. Oh yeah, Frank Bourgeois. Yeah. I would say he picked up where you left off. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And there's even other kids yeah. still hitting big spots out there. Oh yeah. So uh, one of your, we'll call them uh, guys you went to war with. You know, one of one of the guys uh, you you did a lot of this gnarly stuff with is Bjorn Linus, and we have a great guest question from Bjorn. Cool. Hey, what's going on, Bombhole Breezeburger? Uh, this is Bjorn. Just calling in with a couple of quick questions. Breezy, remember that trip when we were up in Duluth filming for Real Street? And we're doing that roof gap, the parking garage one, where Randy was towing us in in the pickup truck. Uh, After the session later that night, Randy got pretty emotional and broke down at the hotel room. And he basically told us that he was scared for our lives, that we were going to die. And that, you know, if something went wrong, it was basically his fault because he was towing us with the truck. And uh, I'm just curious, man. Randy was like one of your best friends. And what was that like? You know, did that did that kind of really hit home with you? Did it change your mentality moving forward about, you know, some of the stuff that you were doing? Uh, love to hear more on that. Second part, second question, actually. Explain smelting. E-stone, I know you know what this is as well. So love to hear that. All right, guys. Thanks. I, I can handle the first question. The second question, I'm going to need help. I, I remember the word, but I don't remember what it I, is exactly. I can handle the second okay. question. <laughs> All right. Yeah, take part one first. Yeah, part part one, I do remember this, and I do remember Killer, Killer had like tears in his eyes. He thought it was because we had a little bit of a hiccup on one pull-in, and he thought I, I fucked up. He thought he thought something happened, and it didn't. Nothing happened. I let go of the rope, and it was all good. And from what I remember, which this is a decade ago almost now, um, you know, I just told him, I said, Killer, all you got to do is hit the gas. And you know, nothing else is on your shoulders. Um, but from that on, I think that was our last gap. Really. It was, it was the yeah. last, last yeah. gap. Yeah. At that point it was like, why, why another one? You know, what was the reason we already did like six or seven of them. And this was kind of that unique one where it was super tall and, um, it wasn't that big, but yeah, Bjorn, Krister and I all hit it. And, uh, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't really remember him other than trying to talk him down and we, we kept going on. 
I think the problem was he was on the roof and he only had a limited amount of space to drive and it was right. icy. That's right. And so That's right. it was kind of gnarly for him. You know, That's if he right. went too fast, if he hit the ice, right. maybe the car is going to go off the edge. If he, if he messes up, these guys are going to die if they don't make the gap. Wasn't very big though, but still shit can happen. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that was, I think what hit me more was afterwards again, talking to blue I talked to Blue a lot. I'm realizing as I'm thinking back, he was just like, "Dude, what's your setup like? What's your what's your actual, you know, process look like when you guys are hitting these roof to roof gaps?" And I'm like, "You know, we we put, tie a rope to a truck and we put some sort of a pulley system right by the takeoff and we we go." And he's like, "Gosh, I, you guys might want to look into you know really perfecting that piece." And being that was our last one, we never really did. But good point, you know. I mean, this is this is the thing coming back to these roof gaps is they just kind of happened and you didn't plan them out you know the first roof gap we ever hit we were we were filming another spot and i think andy or, or stan evans pointed it out and we came back the next day and just sent it you know it was like well, how are we gonna get speed truck rope pulley system go and it was kind of done and we never really put a ton of thought into it and to knock on what everything went well you know and and i'm looking back now i mean i'd never fucking do that shit ever again obviously yeah you know what no, if the rope broke right yeah what if what if i caught my edge what if what if the million, snow, well, million yeah. ways dude i mean yeah there's just I mean, once you have my boy you know once i have my son everything changed too mentally it was just a total different game well, uh, that's a perfect transition. Oh, quick, before we hit that. Schmelting. Schmelting, we got to hit that. Okay, so the movie Austin Powers, there's a character who talks about schmelting. I love gold. And uh, we were in a schmelting town, actually. And that was the town where you brought your wife with you to conceive your first child. That's right, dude. That's and so right. we were on a rail trip, and uh, he it kept taking breaks, and Bjorn started calling it, Going schmelting. That's right. Yeah, and that's so, right. <laughs> <laughs> so totally forgot about yeah, this we'd shit. be like all like, all right, we're gonna go hit a spot. And Dan's like, I need need a half hour, forty five hour hour to go take a break. <laughs> that's right. My girl's ovulating. <laughs> oh shit, dude! Thanks for that question, Bjorn. Now that you bring that shit up, dude. Zealand was conceived on that's that right. trip. Houghton, Michigan. Zealand breezy conceived. <laughs> <laughs> and so that weird. was. Uh, I was the first time that I'd ever experienced that with a rider, but you got to do life and X Games at the same time, huh, Dan? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you know, that's that's reality of life. How was that? Uh, was your chick cool with that? Lady was all she cared about was having a kid, so it didn't matter. She we demand there was we had Zealand, and then we were trying to have our second, and it took like three years, and she was traveling all over the country. Like there, there come a, you know the time of the month, the time of the month, and she's not missing it. Like we're trying. So it doesn't matter where I am. She's just getting on a flight overnight, and boom, there she is for a couple of days and headed home. I mean, <laughs> yeah, when it's oh, when it's hard like, for when it's like you're want, trying to do this, it's go time. Yeah, yeah, and after you don't, it doesn't work for years. You know, you you turn into desperation, mm-hmm. and we had a hard time getting our second child to come, and we ended up having to do in vitro fertilization finally. But there was a three year period where, while my career was going on, she was following me. That's awesome. Yep. <laughs> this is a great segue into a question from Blue Montgomery. What's up, Bomb Hall? Blue Montgomery here. Breezy, my man, I got a semi-serious question for you. So during your time as a professional snowboarder, you were one of the gnarliest that's ever done it. And on multiple occasions, you put your life on the line in the pursuit of fun. And I bet not one time did you ever consider what your parents thought of the risks you were taking. So now that you're a parent, and you're the parent of a super talented, strong little kid in Zealand that rips his KTM motorcycle over the damn track. You know, I'm just curious when you reflect on your pro snowboarding career and when you look at life through the lens of a dad, 
you know, how do you view the inherent risks that we take in action sports in the pursuit of fun? Damn, that's a damn. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Love y'all. Yeah, that's a damn good question, Blue. Um, It's challenging, in all honesty. Zealand's out there on his KTM 50, and the dude's got control of this bike, and he's flying through 30, 40, 50-foot jumps now. And I'm like, fucking, what did I do? This kid's eight years old on, on on a rocket bike. These bikes are gnarly. Like, they have power. You don't lean forward, they flip over on you, you know? And... You know, I, I think about it now more than ever. I, I I was out there the other day watching him ride, and I'm like, man, this is so gnarly for me because he'd sometimes endos, right? He hits his 50-foot jump, and he starts to sometimes go to his nose. And I'm like, Z, you got a habit there. You got to change that, or you're going to get fucked up. And I don't swear on him, but, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> – you're going to get racked. You're going to get wadded. And uh, it's challenging. It's very challenging. And I, I, I ask myself, like, is the risk to reward worth it, you know? And – for my snowboarding career, it was for me, but I, I don't know. I, that's where I'm, I, I think the best I can do is, is show him it. And if he's not like eager and hungry to go, I'm not going to push it in any way, shape or form. You know, if he's like, I just got to do this, dad, I got to go. I got to go. Then we'll go. But I'm, I'm definitely not going to be like, dude, you should get out there and ride. You know, dirt biking. When you, if you want to be serious at dirt biking, I'm learning real quickly. You got to push your kids and they got to have everything like dialed in and they ride and it's, it's damn serious. And I think Zealand's at a point where, you know, if he, if he if he really wanted it, he could do well, potentially. I mean, who knows? He got a decade of, like, grinding before he'll get there. But if he doesn't show that, like, I want to do this and it's all I want to do, I'm just going to ride with him and have fun. That's killer. And the other part of the question I wanted to highlight, have you ever talked to your parents about what they thought of you jumping the roof gaps? Yeah, you know, my parents, in the beginning, they didn't really know what we were doing. They just thought we were going to Powder Ridge riding laps. And then they started to see video parts. They never saw me snowboard unless it was a video part. They never went to one contest. Never, ever even knew what we were doing. But by the time they knew what we were doing, I was so far along by that time, they they didn't have any leverage. They weren't going to say, hey, you should be careful with that. I mean, they were, of course, my mom's scared. But they were the one who said, do what you love. Follow your passion. What are they going to say? Don't do that. You know, so um, I think at the end of the day, my parents are pretty damn wise in the sense of just saying just be as careful as you can and and, and do what you got to do mm-hmm. uh going back to motocross talk though this is i love moto sorry to hijack the conversation real quick but uh the thing that's cool i've i've noticed with if you look at the the arc of a lot of the kids careers that do well it's the kids that are usually the first the, the kids that are the, the top three at loretta lynn's that are pushed at the youngest ages oftentimes more often than not are the ones that that burn out and it, if you look at Eli Tomac or you look at a lot of these guys that have been very massively successful in, in their career, they weren't necessarily the fastest kid in the minis, on the super minis. You know, they, they, were, they were kind of sure they maybe, made, maybe they made the main or things like that. But I think that that's a really healthy way to do it because you see so many dads in moto. And I start, I'm starting to see it in snowboarding. But fathers that... That or or mothers for that matter or any parental figure doesn't matter the gender or anything like that but pushing their kids like because it's it's what they want it's not what the kids want yeah you know 100%. and it seems like you've been in those shoes you're not trying to fulfill some unfulfilled ego that you never got and try to get your shine through <laughs> your kid right a hundred percent dude I've I've lived my dream and if whatever my kids want to do I just hope that they find passion and, and and go with that direction and whatever that is let's roll I, honestly if it was my way he would just be doing for fun with me we'd golf a lot we'd dirt bike a lot and then he'd be in my real estate business mm-hmm. that'd be <laughs> ideal but you know it's up to him okay we're gonna talk to you guys quickly about liquid death and we're gonna hit the liquid death spinning wheel of death welcome to the liquid death. <laughs> <laughs> 
Death, death, death. Spinning wheel of death. <laughs> so, Buds, what's one of the coolest things about liquid death? Well, you know, you can drink it and still play sports. Absolutely love. You know, we were talking about motocross. Motocross. I love uh, chugging some liquid death, getting on my dirt bike. You don't want to do that with, uh, you know, vodka, for example. Yeah, that's a good call. Uh, The other thing I love, you can drink it in the chairlift lift lines. You know, people yell at you for having a beer. It looks like a beer. It's water. You know, and then one thing we haven't talked about yet with liquid death, Pat Moore works there. Absolute. That's that's great. Snowboard legend, icon. Uh, So, you know, really, really cool brand. If you're interested in checking out some Liquid Death, head on over to liquiddeath.com slash bombhole. You'll get yourself a couple koozies. And you're not contributing to all this plastic waste that is destroying our planet. You're crushing some can, which we, you know, we appreciate here at the Bombholes, crushing can. And murdering your thirst at the same time. Exactly. So once again, head on over to liquiddeath.com slash bombhole. And now we are going to get into the Liquid Death spinning wheel of death. One here of my, we go. One please. of my favorite segments right here. Well, there's a lot of options on this one. We kind of made it spicy. So you, you don't know what it lands on. We're going to spin it. You spin it, and then we'll tell you what you land on. Foot oh race God, yes. with diesel. Oh, on we have a new one. This is so perfect because we were just talking about riding dirt bikes. And uh, Dan, earlier, um, I was kind of let, I was briefing him on the episode. I said, we might do a foot race. And he so confidently... You said, yeah, it shouldn't be a problem. I'm going to mop you up. Or what were, I don't know what verbs you said. But. Yeah, I mean, you were talking about racing, foot racing, and I was like, there's no way Chris could beat me. But now when I'm looking at you, dude, you do look a little different than I thought. Like, <laughs> I remember. <laughs> like, you look a little more fit. You oh, look a little more athletic. Been, this guy's been hitting the gym, Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah I'll, here's the deal. This is what we're going to do. I'm, I'm going to race him on the 110 dirt bike because that we I want to see how this thing does. It doesn't have a clutch. It's a small dirt bike. And then we should do a foot race after. We should do two. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and cut, and then uh, we'll, we'll insert the footage when we come back. Three, two, one, go! Crazy. Three, two, one! Oh! Dan wants to go again. Three, Two, one, go! So, Breezy, why don't you explain to the people what just happened out there uh, while we were racing? Well, uh, you know, being 37, I had to get a good warm-up. I've uh, raced in the past. My brother likes to race me randomly. He's, okay. he's 40, and whenever I do it, if I just go, I pull hammy. So, a little warm-up needed to happen first. It's a pro tip. That pro tip right there. <laughs> and then, yeah. Smoked granular like I thought it would, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> in the foot race, yeah. we did just to make him feel better. We did a foot race for the record. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, <laughs> on the one ten, got handled. what happened on the dirt bike race? Yeah, yeah you got lucky. The very it was end. a it was a photo finish, it but close. Chris won. Well, you pulled the holy out of the gate. You hole shotted me, and then uh, right, right when I clicked into third gear, uh, just bike positioning, body positioning, timing, RPMs. It was it was like it was like watching Ricky Carmichael. <laughs> Uh, it was really, I felt like a, just a complete, you know, uh, gate drop of beauty. You could call it, you know, <laughs> totally. So, <laughs> so yeah, I won two, two of the one ten races on the dirt bike and, um, mopped the floor with them. And then uh, the first one was, I don't know, tight. I definitely won both. Okay. A win's a win. A win's a win. Yeah, right? I gave so. it to him. I feel like it was a win. Yeah. Wins a win. 
So, uh, we're st- we still, dude, real snow era. I know we've been talking about it quite a bit, but it's interesting. And along with film for real snow, there's been some some harsh times, you can say, right? Like, it's just far as, like, we got to get, we got this deadline. We got to do this crazy spot with all this, all this crazy snow removal and everything else. What was the worst experience you ever had with a build or your worst, your harshest experience during real snow? I would say the worst, you know, bust we've had, which is a standout in my mind of real snow was the Denver feature. It was a roof gap and <clears throat> we set it up. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a jump that looked like kind of like a pyramid takeoff or, or Chad's gap takeoff where it took probably 50 truckloads. And this was a gap that was, a death drop for sure, but you couldn't come up short or you wouldn't make it. But if you went too far, there was an overhang that you would hit head on. And it was definitely the scariest feature that I would have ever hit as far as roof gaps go. And it's probably part of the reason we got busted because when it came the day to hit it, Christmas Day, we set it up Christmas Eve and we were out shoveling till three in the morning. That's no exaggeration. It was three in the morning and we went home and slept for like two hours and got up back at first light because we wanted to try to get this done before anything would happen. And we get back there Christmas Day, and we start doing pull-ins, and um, I just, I don't have the courage or confidence to send it, you know, something inside just saying, I, I got to go fast, but I can't go too fast. With all of the roof gaps, it's just go fast. Just get over, and you're fine. Where with this one, you had to get over, but not too far. And I probably did eight to ten pull-ins, and I was just, I was scared, very scared. And finally, maybe it was a blessing. This dude rolls up in a truck. Cop even talked to us that morning, by the way. Cop talked to us. I was like, yeah, we got permission. Gave him a line of BS. He's like, sounds good. Good luck. He takes off. So I'm like, we got it. We're going to get this today. Somehow the dude hears about it. You know, it's the janitor cleaning Christmas morning. And he rolls up. And if you take a look at harsh times of real snow, you can see him pull in with his truck. And he drives over the jump and, like, high centers his vehicle on the jump and just gets out and just starts unleashing. You ruined my Christmas. And, you know... That was it. We were done. He basically break it all down. And as I look back, the energy in the crew from that day of that much effort and and getting defeated, it it really affected a lot of the rest of real snow because of that one spot. But I'm probably, you know, in all honesty, grateful it happened because I wasn't confident in it. Mm -hmm. And it could have been, you know, a catastrophe. So at the end of the day, it was brutal, but um, maybe it was the best thing. Uh, do you think that was a Denver hospital, huh? Uh, it wasn't a hospital. Uh, it was just a Denver, you know, office building. I remember it was, seeing it. I wasn't there. I think Dodds was there with you guys. Right? Could have been. Yeah, it was like downtown in the background. Yeah, and it was a hot spot. It looked cool. Qu- question for you. Now, looking back with the perspective you have, not not as heavily invested in snowboarding as you once were. Do you feel like this is an instance of like maybe we pushed it too far? It's Christmas. Like I was a little too much. Or do you still kind of stand behind that that heart of a work ethic? Um, yeah, uh, maybe a little of both, you know, I think it was kind of borderline, like it's just too far, you know, the drop, you're dead. (laughs) You hit the wall going 40, you're likely toast. So it's like, you have this massive, massive area of, of, of risk in this very little area of of success. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what are we doing here? And so, you know, it was hard because it was a letdown, but at the same time, it might've been the best thing again. Yeah. Totally. It could have saved your life. Huh? Yeah. So we've talked a ton about snowboarding. I kind of want to get into the business of snowboarding. Uh, obviously, you've sharpened your teeth into this real estate thing that you're doing. That's awesome. But as you're doing it, it seems like you maybe 
learned by doing contracts, learned the business of snowboarding, got better at the business of snowboarding. Uh, and I know that you had one issue with, with a contract, with a brand that I would love to, to kind of hear of on the bad side of the business of snowboarding. Yeah. You know, contracts are all about supply and demand. If you got multiple companies bidding on you, you're going to go up in value. And in this scenario, we had, uh, I was riding for Von Zipper, great brand, GT, incredible guy. Um, been with him for like five or six years and all of a sudden die comes along, die goggles. Bjorn is on the brand. He's talking about the brand and you know, I, I look up to Bjorn and he's talking about the future of it. And he's like, you should take a look. And they put a three year deal on the table working with Jameson Keegan, shout out to Jameson Keegan. He helped me a lot with, um, a, lo- a lot of my contracts, but, um, they put a three year deal on the table. That was three times what I was getting at Von Zipper. And it was enough where I was, you know, with Bjorn being behind it, I wanted to pursue it so I signed that contract and left Von Zipper and GT told me the day I called him he's like I guarantee in three years that business will not be in business I guarantee you and I was like I don't think you know what's going on GT knows what's going on I don't know what's going on <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah I signed the deal and next week they're flying me out to do a photo shoot they want to immediately you know get you in the magazine and tell everyone that you're now on the brand and when I'm flying out there I'm already wondering I'm like god hesitant this is the right move and when I get there I meet the people who are behind the brand and I'm like these guys don't know snowboarding you know I I don't want to use the word kooks but they just don't know they're not in the scene right it's not like you're rolling up to Volcom or Capita and Union where these guys this is what they did this is where they're bred from you know it's, it's outsiders trying to come in and I remember the photo shoot and just being like this sucks so much and I, I didn't believe in the brand I didn't believe in the product I didn't really like the product I love that Bjorn was on it and I love the pay so we do that photo shoot and boom, next month, every freaking magazine has my face with dye goggles. And I'm like, dude, they, they pay, they're paying. They pay me once or twice on time. And from that point on a 36 month contract, they never paid on time. And they started to pay slower and slower and slower. And I wasn't okay with that. I'm not, I, I signed a contract with an agreement of what I'm going to do. You guys live up to your end and fucking pay me. Right. That's what the agreement is. So Dude stops paying, stops paying. Finally, we're probably in a month, month 15, and they're, they're no longer, I can't get a hold of them. And I'm going to Jameson, and I'm like, hey, dude, what are we going to do here? This is a big problem. And he's like, maybe let's hire an attorney. So I went out, and I found a lawyer. And I told him about the situation, shared my contract, and he's like, you got a case here, but I guarantee you I can win it. If they have any money, we'll get it. And I'm like, okay, what's the fee? And he said, uh, 20% of whatever, I win you, and until then, you pay nothing. At this point, I'm thinking, <clears throat> I'm not going to get anything anyways. These guys are toast. So I hire them. We fly down to California, and we sit in there. It's the owner of Die. It's me. It's my lawyer, and it's an arbitrator. And the arbitrator is sitting there. We're there for two hours, and we're going through each payment, each page of the contract, line by line by line. And the owner of the company is oblivious to what was going on, he says. He starts giving me this line, like, I had to sell my plane. I had to take my kid out of private school, and this has been really hard for me. And I'm thinking the whole time, like, I don't really give a fuck. That's, that was not what we agreed. You owe me the money, and we're going to go through with this. So for two, three hours, we go back and forth. At the end of it, the arbitrator looks at the owner, and he says, uh, usually I need to take some time and figure this out, but you owe this guy this money, guaranteed. You're going to pay him, or we're going to, you know, help you pay him. So... That was the end of it. Dude ended up getting like a 40, 50 K payment from hiring nice. this attorney. And it was, it was, it was a bummer though. You know, it was a, it was a awakening a bit of just be careful who you do business with. And if I could go back, I just would have stayed with Von Zipper, you know, pay, took a little less cash and, and been with a brand I was stoked on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I came from the uh, paintball industry. That's right. Mm. Yeah. And they probably still had the money. I mean, the guy to sell his plane. Wow. Wow. Who's yeah. got planes? 
He's got planes. <laughs> well, that that is a no. That's a great uh, moral. There's a great moral there. You know, just just stick with the the people you feel good about. And there's that mm-hmm. that kind of intuition when it comes to negotiating deals. You kind of know what's the right one and what's not. And yeah. obviously, sometimes the money blinds you, but you know, yeah, you know, in there the the feeling that you get where you're like this. This is a good deal. This is a bad deal. Yeah. Right. Did yeah. you have that? Yeah, I did. I had that fully. I was like, this is a good deal for the money, bad deal for the, uh, you know, the belief of the product. Just, just ride for brands you believe in and, and hold out for those brands and just be loyal to them. I think is probably the best thing you can do. You know, I'm mm-hmm. so grateful for the brands I was able to ride for Volcom, Capita, Union, GoPro. I mean, these brands and, and Rockstar was good to me too. You know, I was, I was good right now. We, we, we got to talk, uh, we got to talk Bisque. So yeah. we like to talk about Cheddar Bisque on this show. Which is uh, when we talk about money, and uh, you're you're out of the game now, so I think it's it's all fair, right? It's all on limits. So um, we know. I want to know what the most you made was off of real snow, and did you get a rock star bonus and all that stuff? Yeah, I think real snow that first year was 50k payout, and then I had probably another 50 to 100 grand of incentives from brands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and uh, and then yeah, Rockstar had a bonus, but I didn't have Rockstar until like year three. Okay. And their bonus, I think, was like 25K. Yep. You know, it was a nice bonus. Mm-hmm. But um, what I would like to know, total bisque, the most that you made in a year. Yeah, 500 was kind of the- Woo! Half, half a mil. Milly, breezy. Yeah. yeah, it was like three, four years of like four to 500K. And then- Three to four years of four to 500K. Woo! Yeah. Yep. That's what we like to call- Coming from the guy eating PBJs. Yeah. Yeah, see, you can see now why- PB&Js to secure in the bag. <laughs> yeah, that is a secure the satchel type of situation. Yeah, that's right uh, <laughs> half a million in a sprinter, we like to say. <laughs> yeah, but what the harsh lesson I learned was once you start making that kind of money, you end up having a huge tax bill. And the tax bill was like a punch in the gut, you know, coming from central Minnesota, working odd jobs, making three, four, five grand a year. And now all of a sudden you got a six-figure tax bill. Six figures. Yeah. Yeah, 40%, 50%. You know, self-employment tax. You got, I mean, taxes were gnarly. Mm-hmm. And so that was another thing that was, I was like, there has to be a better way. There is no way that this is this is the only way. And I know the tax law, if you look at the tax law, it's deep. It's thick. And how do you figure this out as a snowboarder? I'm not going to fucking figure that out. So I got to start reading some books and try to figure that stuff out and find a way to learn the laws and, and allocate yourself differently to make keep more of what you're making. Otherwise, you're working for six months for the government. Well, did you figure so, that out? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I read a bunch of books. I started reading books left and right. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I read a bunch I've of- I've read those. Yeah. I read Tax-Free Wealth by Tom Wheelwright and went and hired a CPA out of Arizona. The company's called ProVision. And I fired my guy here in town because he's like, yeah, keep putting your money in IRAs, Breezy. Keep putting your money in IRAs, life insurance, 401k. And I was like, this isn't working. This is not working. So I fired that guy, hired somebody who was way more sophisticated, who could give me way better knowledge of what to do. Mm-hmm. And I started down that path 10 years ago. And that was the beginning of, you know, my real estate invest, investing business. Before we transition to that, I'd like to footnote, because I don't, I don't know if the general public knows how snowboarders get paid. So we are, we are independent contractors, right? Mm-hmm. So you're not, you're not on, you don't get uh, health benefits. You don't, it's not like you get paid and a chunk of taxes is taken out. On a 1099, when you get paid, you are responsible for paying your own taxes off that. Do you want to elaborate on any of that? Yeah, you just get it all. Yeah. You know, and you have to be understand and be sophisticated enough to set the funds aside or understand what your tax liability is going to be based on your setup. And if you don't keep those funds and you go spend those at the end of the year, now you've got another massive payment yeah. and, and you owe it. So it's important. And this shit isn't taught in K through 12. This isn't no, told no, you. No, it should be. Yes, it should be. Yeah. It should be. And it's not. And if you don't get the information, you don't go seek it out. 
you can be into a very slippery spot. You know, a person who makes a ton of cash but doesn't know what to do with it is dangerous, very dangerous. You can get yourself into a shitty situation quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's there's a lot more to know what to do. Making the money is one thing. You got to make the cash, and then you got to know what to do with it. It's almost mm-hmm. more important what to do with it than making it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're equally important because you don't got anything. How do you do anything? But once you got it, what do you do? Mm-hmm. I know plenty of people who didn't know what to do. Yeah. And they're still paying, still figuring it out. And if I had control or could influence more athletes – that are making good money, I'm telling you, I can retire all of them by the time they get to the end of their career. If they have a good income and they're willing to live a little bit below their means, doesn't mean they have to, you know, live like they're broke, but don't spend everything you make and start buying assets. If you buy assets, you can retire after you're done being an athlete. Every single athlete, if you're making three to 500 a year or more, should retire when you're done and live a beautiful life. Wow. Great words of wisdom. So let's talk about this transition phase into your your, your pro career is going for a long time. You start, you said something about fatherhood was a turning point for you, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Once Zealand was, you know, two, three years old and I was traveling and I'd be leaving all the time, it started to change for me um, massively. I just even two, three, four day trips. You know, even coming here right now, it's, it, I had to think about, I'm like, I got to take a day. I'm going to be gone another day. And, um, you know, that, that wears on you enough where it's just not the same as it once was. And snowboarding turned into work. <laughs> and dude, snowboarding was never work for me once. I never fucking worked hard. I just did what I loved. But now when you have to put that same effort in, now you start to see how much effort you're actually putting in. Melissa, my wife, would always be like, Dan, I just can't believe how hard you try. And I'm like, fuck, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. Mm-hmm. And that, then when that started to leave... And you're like, I got to go to work. Now you're like, holy shit, I'm busting my ass. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that day, yeah, once, once, once Zealand came around, I was just like, it's just not the same. And I remember, I remember the spot. We were up in Fairbanks, Alaska. I had Melissa, my wife, and Zealand up there with me because they traveled with me wherever I could. And it was a uh, co-card was with me. Co-card, thank you for coming on that trip. You were huge. Um, we went up to Fairbanks and we hit that step up to that blue flat rail. Another Fo- spot. Form hit it one year and then I, yeah, I wanted to try to do a 450 to it. Mm-hmm. And the 450 came out decent at best, but it was like a four-day setup. <clears throat> it, I kept not getting it, but I was pulling the winch back one time after almost slipping out on the kicker, and I was pulling the winch back, and I'm like, I'm done. This isn't for me anymore. This is just too too gnarly. It's too intense. Mm-hmm. And I remember I'm like, I'm not going to not finish my real snow part. This is 2018. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm fucking committing to this real snow part, and I'm done with real snow for sure forever, and we'll see what happens with snowboarding. And I finished that part, and it was... You know, it was the toughest part I ever did. Dude, most stress I ever had because I wasn't there. Our team wasn't put together. Uh, you know, I started not behaving the same way as I had in years past where I kept the team inclusive. I started to pull out more. And it was it was really, really challenging. Toughest year by far. But that was the point. Fairbanks, Alaska. I'm like, dude, this just isn't for me anymore. And things changed. Mm-hmm. And so w- let's talk about the, the transition out. And you're kind of, at this point, when you're a pro snowboarder, you've been doing it your whole life. Your identity is, I'm Dan Breezy. I'm a pro snowboarder. There's a bit of a weird kind of ego identity struggle, right? <sighs> Dude, so hard. How was that period? So goddamn hard. You know, that's that's the part I'm the most gra- grateful for is I have something else now I'm passionate about and I found something. But for the athletes that, you know, from 11 years old until I'm 30, this is all I thought about. Pure obsession, one thing. No backup plans ever. And all of a sudden you start to see the writing on the wall. Like you're just not there anymore. You're, you're not, you're not putting the right effort in and you know, it's going to come to an end and you get to this point where you, you just, you just hope to God you can find something new. 
you know, and for the guys that find something new, I mean, Baumholz is sick. I mean, whenever it happens for you, not saying it's happening anytime soon for you, Chris, but you've got something else. We're excited about this. You can yeah. Say, yeah. This is sick. Yeah, we're loving it. We love it. This is sick. Same so passion sick. as when I was 18, like Dude. you're talking about, yeah. you know, when it's snowboarding. Yeah, That's go what's keep up. Going, but yeah. That's what's up. So for the dudes who don't find it and they're now they're nobody. Those are the dudes that you got to be careful, you know, committing suicide. And, and what do they turn into a drinking habit? And and their peak is at 33. I, I, that was my biggest fear. I'm like, dude, am I going to peak in my life at 33, 34 years old and the rest of my life is this way? You know, I, I have so many friends from high school who are still talking about high school football. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, that's sick. You fucking scored that touchdown. But dude, that was 25 years ago. I don't want to be that dude when I'm 50 that says, yeah, I remember my snowboarding career, X Games gold medalist, 32 years old. The rest of my life has been downhill. Fuck that. That's not happening. So, um, you know, those fears push you into finding something new, kind of they're, they're motivating. And if you, if you let that fear motivate you, you can find something new and anybody who's transitioned out of a career, I'm telling you, there's something new for you. There's definitely something new you can find and do and, and just get, get, get excited about something else and go, go like hell. So, so how did you, what led you to the real estate path? Break that whole process down to us. Yep. So I, um, I had this tax bill that was shocking. And I started reading fi- financial. Yeah. How much I, are we talking? It was like 130. Shocking. Yeah. Yeah. More than most people make. Yep. Yep. And I was, again, reading these books. I'm like, there's something I don't know. There's got to be. And I started reading these books on taxes. I hire a great CPA and he looks at my financial settings. And he, I'm like, hey, I probably have a five year runway here, kind of to run my career out. I need to transition out of my career into something else, and I want freedom. My biggest goal is freedom, you know, like be able to get up in the morning and do whatever the fuck I want to do and be stoked. And and, and that, that's with snowboarding, it was easy, right? You're traveling the world with your homies, getting paid a lot of money. You're you do whatever you want. It's, it's, it's an easy life kind of when you're into it. Um, so he was like, start buying apartments. Start using your funds. Stop, live below your means. You know, I lived like I had, was making 60K a year, about, you know, five grand a month I would spend the rest I would shovel into apartments. And I, and I first was reading book after book after book on investing in apartments. And before I ever started raising capital and like building a business, I just did it on my own. I just put my own money and I bought a duplex. I bought a nineplex. I bought a 24 unit deal. And as I was buying these deals, I was quickly learning about cash flow and how passive income can pay you money, whether you're working or not working. That was a concept I never fucking heard once between the age of being born till 32 passive income. The most powerful income you can ever make is passive income. So you're buying these apartments, you're getting cash flow, you're getting depreciation. You can do these things called cost segregation studies, and it shows a loss on paper. And when you show the loss on paper and you throw it up against your income as a snowboarder, legally, legally speaking here, the way the tax law is written, it's like the game of Monopoly. You know the rules of Monopoly, you you play by the rules. Same with this shit. You play by the rules, your tax bill liability goes down, now you have more to invest. So you have that, you've got appreciation because you're buying an asset that as the dollar continues to be destroyed, like they're doing, the Federal Reserve is printing trillions of dollars. I'm in a really awesome investment group in Grant Cardone. I don't know if you guys know Grant Cardone. Yeah, I listen to his podcast. That guy, I've listened to him. He's like a, he's a bulldog, that guy. Fucking bulldog. He's a bulldog. He's a, yeah. he's a, he's a big investment. Huge, yeah. huge. Yeah. And he uh, was talking to us and just basically said, he's in the last two years, 40% of all currency in the history of the world was created in the last two years. You got that much currency coming into the world and you got a lot of people not working. You're going to have inflation taken off and we're seeing it. I mean, I'm seeing it, you know, it's, it's apparent. And if you're not on the side of inflation, you're in a, you're in a scary spot right now. And, and, and I don't want to go into too much detail because it can be kind of complicated, but look into it, read, read up on that and, and try to understand what's going on big picture. 
um, because if you're not on the side of inflation, it's likely your cash that you're saving is going to become worth less and less and less just because there's more of it. Does that make sense? You're, you've got dollars that are chasing the same amount of goods. Yep, you've got way sense. more dollars chasing the same amount of bananas. Bananas go up if bananas are needed, right? Mm-hmm. So, so what happens is people save their cash and they're in 401ks and IRAs and these fixed investments and they're, they're slowly losing value. Everything becomes a bit more of a commodity. And they're offering no interest right now on on money that's stacked up. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, education was the biggest thing right out of the gate, you know, and now we built a a extensive team on, on investing and we're way further along than what I was. But in the beginning, it was strictly a tax payment and trying to find a way to create passive income after learning about what it was. So explain exactly kind of as an investment group, what you guys do, you guys all pull your money together. Yeah. Yeah, correct. We basically... 24-7 right now, my business partner and I, his name is Mike Roeder. We started Granite Towers Equity Group. And Granite Towers is a <clears throat> company that looks for apartment assets. And when we find an asset, we bring it to our investors and we show them the opportunity that we found that we believe and how we can add value to the apartment and we all buy it together. So we just put a comp- property in our contract last week, $15.2 million contract. We need to raise $4 million. It's in Nashville, Tennessee. And when we have the opportunity, capital flushes these deals because people, there's a lot of people in the world that have a lot of cash that don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, and, 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 and I can speak to anybody right now. If you don't have a lot of cash, there's ways to, to start to save a little bit. 25K chunks, you start with 25K chunks. I don't care who you are in the world right now. You can save 25 grand, you know, and if you start with a 25 grand, grand chunk and you start to get educated, you can start to invest in these deals and you can start to, we, we, we preserve capital. We, we make, take care of it and then pay you more. And that's really the, the name of the game is find a great asset in a great location, show it to the investors and whoever wants to invest, fucking let's go together. My money's always in the deals. Mm-hmm. Every time I'm, I'm in the deals, six figures or more, every deal. And, um, you know, in the beginning it was a little less, but, um, now it's, it's, we're, we're, we're I care as much as the ne- next investor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you got your own skin in the game. Yeah. That's yeah. genius. Now, so if we're going to just break this down for some digestible, actionable advice yeah. for our listeners, or let, let's just take a the kids, kids our age that they're listening to this. They like snowboarding. They don't, they don't know, but they don't know what to do with whatever money they have. Yeah. What would you say? Like if you could bullet point three things yeah. of what to do, that's actionable advice. What would you say that you would do if you say, let's just say you had, okay, I put away five grand or 10 grand or something yeah. small. Yeah. Not, not that that's a small amount of money, but just something to start with. Yes. Right? Yes. This is great. I, I hope I can add value here. Number one, I would just continue to live below your means. You don't need to spend everything you're making. You know, don't act like you're a baller when you're not, right? Mm-hmm. Living off cash you're making as income, it's it's just step one. So try to get that into your mind. Just let that bumble around. Let that seed, you know, grow. And once you start to put cash away every month, your confidence will go up and start reading books on education. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a great book to start mm-hmm. of the basics. Read it again. I read it every couple of years. You know, um, the ABCs of apartment investing or ABCs of real estate. If you want to learn about real estate, incredible book of basics. You know, just start to develop some education on what to do. And if anyone has wants more information, I can give you more information on starting your education. And then after you have some cash stacking and your education is going up, either you got two choices. One, you can go and find investments and, and take control of it, or you can find and work with people like us, you know, and, and this isn't a sales pitch in any way, shape, or form, but I'm telling you right now, if I get, did it again, I would work with somebody who was a pro. Mm-hmm. You know, we got trained by a guy out of Dallas-Fort Worth who's been doing this for 30 years. That's all he does, apartment investing, mm-hmm. value add. And when you go through and you learn what he does exactly and how he's had success for the last 30 years, it's a very simple recipe. 
But if you don't know the recipe and you don't know the critical things to look at, it's very dangerous. So, you know, you, you can have massive success and you have massive failure. You know, you have billionaires in real estate and you have people who are broke. Mm-hmm. And it's the knowledge. That's the difference. People either know stuff and they and they truly know it or they're bullshitters selling you on something that isn't a good deal. So th- those are the steps I'd take is, is just take a check in reality of, of how much you're making and can you find a way to live a little bit below your means and get educated and then, and then reach out and find somebody who's, who's mm-hmm. can make your capital multiply. Uh, sidebar on a small way to start getting investing, getting like an investment going, uh, random thing. I use acorns thought it basically rounds up, uh, something puts away $20 a week and then it rounds up everything to the nearest dollar. Yeah, everything you buy. Right. Yeah, so, and I started doing it's that. I want to say, I haven't looked at it in a while, but I think mine, I started doing it three years ago. I don't even notice it cause it's, it's just there and I, I'm up to 10 grand. Dude. And it's like, that's really, a, that's a good way. Yeah, totally. That's a good way to start. Like, I don't even, I wouldn't don't even, cause you it's such small it. increments, but over time, you know, and you go to Seven Eleven, you spend seven fifty. it takes, takes 50, 50 cents. cents. Yes, exactly. And every time you use your card, the mm-hmm. app just, you link all your cards to it. Uh, just one of my cards. It's just, just one, one card. card. Yeah. And it, yeah, my debit card. So that's three just, years, 10. I, I don't know if it might be four now. It might be it's something, it's something like that. Could three, you have three done me a favor and told me three years ago? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> hindsight is always twenty twenty. Yeah, it really is. I'm so, starting this today. Yeah, so I, not yeah. to like, I mean, that's a that's a point, but it's just it's good to set people up with things like that, right? Yeah, you know. Yeah, and, and my goal is not to be like this dude that has big homes and cars. It's freedom, you know. Yeah, it's to be able to just to have more choice. Yep. And I got we got people like my parents investing with us. My brother, you know, like people who I fucking really care about. They're not just random people. I'm like, oh, you got money, cool. Let's roll. Yep. You know, it's, so anyone. People can contact you and get sure. in on these investments. Yeah, yeah. Well, wow. you can go to you know granitetowersequitygroup.com, Contact us, and you're reaching well, either Mike or I. So, how does the return on investment work? Let's say you gave somebody twenty five grand just out of curiosity. Well, let's go with a hundred grand because it's easier. Okay. Math. If you throw a hundred grand in our deal, we'll generally project we're going to pay you seventy five to a hundred thousand on top of your initial investment back in five years. Okay. So if you throw a hundred grand in. We project we're going to pay you 175 to 200k back in a five year period. Ideally, we crush that. Ideally, mm-hmm. we smoke that. But mm-hmm. we like to project conservatively because if you project too high and then you underperform, your investors are pissed. Yes, right? and that's how I am. So yep. that's that's the way it rolls. Wow. Yeah, and and you know you're you're getting cash flow along the way. Mm-hmm. You know these apartments, if you underwrite them correctly, they'll pay you quarterly. Yeah, it's a lot like investing in the bomb hole. You know, same thing. I think we have a similar. We have a similar return. You know, we just, <laughs> Thank you to our Patreon members. Yeah. Uh, you get a return of banter, <laughs> is what you get. <laughs> no, we they give you a you serious get a service. ROI yeah, on banter. Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah. Uh, you know, we realize we're doing. Dan, real I'm estate. loving this though, man. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I'm gonna be. I might be selling my crib. Dog. I'm gonna be hollering at you and putting a little sun sun over your way. Doggranitetowers.com. Yeah, funny you say that because when I first figured this shit out, I sold my house because a house, unfortunately, is a liability. And I'm not saying you shouldn't own a home. You know, if you want to own a home, everybody, cool, it's been go, great go for, it. for me cool, here yeah. in Salt Lake. I'll and, tell you, and what. you might be getting massive appreciation. Yeah. So totally, if you if you got a home, actually, right now with the way inflation is going, owning a home and having a 30 year fixed mortgage is incredible. Yeah. Because yeah, the, the rates are very low. Rate, rates are low, and inflation is going to continue to make it easier and easier to pay your debt off. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's not a good investment, but I did sell my home and I took all my equity and I moved it into assets. Qu- and so question. did you rent? Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah, I was committed. You know, you, you come back to you, you see, you see a way out. And luckily I wasn't, I didn't blow a lot of my cash when I was, you know, a snowboarder Yeah. and I had a bunch ready to go, but 
you see the opportunity, you're like, dude, I can take 200K out of a home and shove it into a real estate deal. And if I can turn that 200 to 400 in five years and 400 to 800 in five years, 800 to 1.6, you start to get excited. Yeah, because like, <clears throat> shit. Question, question. Wow, loving it. Do you enjoy what you did on a snowboard? Do you enjoy when you're landing your peak tricks that you've ever done, the gratification of conquering your fears and, and stepping over you know, these mental boundaries that maybe you didn't think were possible. I think that's what happens in real snows. You, you do things that you, you kind of find your ceiling is higher than you think. Right. And that, that pushing yourself to these extreme degrees and snowboarding on jumps and mm -hmm. rails and in the streets. Now, what do you find more satisfaction from doing these huge deals that you're doing with your real estate company or doing uh, a gigantic <clears throat> mind-blowing trick you didn't think you could do yeah with snowboarding there was much more popping of excitement and pleasure trick after trick right spot after spot real estate moves very slowly but it's more rewarding because it lasts longer so you know for example all the re all the snowboarding it highs you just land and you're hyped right and you're on cloud nine for a day maybe a day and a half we call that clip high clip yeah. high baby you get a cl Serious clip high clip you're like high. on drugs basically <sighs> the best drug ever yep Yep, but with real estate, you know, we bought a deal in 2019 in Cleburne, Texas. We bought it for 6.75 million. We just put it under contract for sale for 12.4 million. So we're giving our investors a 200% return about in a in a two year period, and that feeling is extremely rewarding and exciting in a totally different way. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got a lot of people and a lot of people I know well in that deal that I'm gonna fucking give a lot of cash back. Yep, and and enough chunks where they're like, dude, I can really do something with this. That's a good point because snowboarding really, it's about me, 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 especially as a pro. Look at me. Check That's out it. me. Watch my video part. Hey, stand in the cold, buds, and shoot me <laughs> while I battle this cold-ass <laughs> rail. Or, or, you know, this long rail, and it takes me 300 Negative tries. 20 out. Right? And then your video part comes out. It's just you. It's a, it's a very self-centered sport. Mm -hmm. And that's really a great perspective about real estate, uh, about how you're you're – you're kind of adding value to people's lives. You're yeah. improving their life and 100%. you can be breaking, you know, chains of, of people that have, have had bad generational wealth. You know, a lot of, I just read this book outliers and, and it's very interesting. It's really a lot of where we come from comes through our cultural roots. And, and there's a lot of things that, that are advantages we've had from where we're from, our income, our, our grandparents income, and they, they all play a factor in, in who we are. And so it's really cool if you can take somebody that, that their parents didn't go to college and they come from not very much money and, and maybe they're an immigrant family and then you can take them and, and you can give them some generational wealth for the next generation. That's, that's a huge, powerful, that's huge. Yeah. It's such super a rewarding, powerful. such a rewarding feeling. And not only are you improving your lives of your investors, you're ideally improving the lives of these tenants because we're always coming in with multi-million dollar upgrades for the apartments and you know we're improving the parking lots the siding the windows the, the security playgrounds you know i mean we come in and, and we upgrade this stuff and ideally give our tenants a nicer place to live a safer place to live so it, it it's a win on all ends it really is and you know there are some people that are you know up, up, upset when you up their rent but you know that's part of life i think is you know the market's the market and um you got to roll with the punches all of us Okay, love this real estate talk. Uh, we're going to go back to some snowboard nerd stuff. I know you've been a little bit out of uh, out of touch, but we're going to play a fan favorite here. Name that video. Confidence level zero through ten. Dan, three, one, two, two, <laughs> three, one, two, two. <laughs> okay, here we go. Don't lose your cool, it's still to 
Pat Moore. It's the sword close. Close. He used that band. Every sword song is like a Pat Moore song. <laughs> oh. I think that's a sword. I'm not sure. I just want my first thought. Um, hold on. Let me think one more time. You, you want it again? Yeah. You need a hint? Yeah. He's a teammate of yours. Oh, God. Oh, God. That's even worse now. And it is in a team movie of yours. So this is bad for... Uh, bad for... You want to... Craven? Wanna, yes, Woo! it is! Fuck yeah, Craven. You're my boy, dude. Yep. Hope you're good, dude. Nice good. work. This is a lot like... Uh, this is kind of like your bomb... This is like a real snow metal, but but uh, it's actually almost worth more, I think. Hell yeah. So That's you got a bomb hole cooler. It's filled with all bomb hole merch. Uh, you got t-shirt, hoodies, mugs... All Thank kinds you. of good stuff, which is available at bombhole.com. Thank you. Uh, I don't know. We're, we're not going to say you won that. It's more of a participation award, even Thank though you, you. kind of got it with a little hint. Yeah. Um, Damn. I you got there. You got there. I definitely recognize the song. I should have I should have known. I would have said the same. Any sword song, you basically just kind of think Pat Moore. Um, okay, then part two. This is for our listeners at this point. You guys know the drill. If you know what video this is from, comment on Dan's photo on Instagram when this comes out. At the bombhole on Instagram. Here we go. Okay, thank you guys for playing. That's that a tough one, jeez. We're trying to hit some uh, different generations, we'll say. True. That's a, that's a, one of the newer ones. So um, well, another thing we're going to do, we're going back to back. We're going to get into one more fun part of the show, which is... Welcome to the Pub Beer Crab Shoot. So uh, we're doing the Pub Beer Crap Shoot, which is presented by Pub Beer. Uh, if you're looking to crush some cold ones, crush some can, maybe get hammered on a Friday night. Yeah, or if you're camping, you want to sit around a campfire, crush some cans with the boys or girls. Or as you like to say, swirl some brews. Swirl, swirl some brews. Swirl some br- is it swill or swill? Swill. swill. Okay. Swill some brews. Get yourself some Pub Beer. Uh, they support the podcast. If you're if you're at a Seven Eleven, you're looking at the beers. Might as well get the one that supports the podcast. And hashtag cheap fun beer, right? It's and it's it is fun from what I hear. I yeah. hear it's extremely fun. It's a great. Time. It's extremely cheap, and uh, you know, they support us. You should support them. So the pub beer crapshoot. How it works is you roll dice and you land on one of the two through twelve, and it's a number of questions like. Seven, for example, is who is one of your favorite people to party with? Now, go ahead and roll those dice, and we will see what you get. Ten. Ten. Uh, the question, perfect ten. What's the biggest prize check you've ever won? Yes. Me. <laughs> Not, yeah. I, I haven't won that many prize checks. Yeah, yeah biggest prize check was X Games Real, Real Snow Year One, 50K. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. And nowadays, they don't pay nearly as much, so good for you. Thank you. Thank you. One thing I'm curious to get your take on here is, you know, early in your career, you wore helmets. Or you wore a helmet, I should say. Now, I noticed you eventually took it off, and now that you have a son, and he's getting into, I'm sure you guys go up to the mountain occasionally and things like that. Do you think, he, are you going to push that on him? What's your take on all that stuff? Yeah, Yeah, in the beginning of my career, you know, my parents suggested it and I was, I was interested and I did it. Right. And as I got into my career, you know, blue never told me to take it off. He just said, you're easier to market. And at that time it was a hundred percent my decision and <clears throat> I was committed to my career and making it work. 
you know, it's like, do you want it to work or not? And how far do you want it to go? So, um, yeah, I, I made the decision to, to, to not run it. And, you know, luckily I never had a head injury that, you know, took me out of the game. But now with my son, you know, for sure for now, hundred percent. And if he ever got that far into snowboarding, we'll see what the market's like, see how bad he wants it, see what he's willing to do, see what his desire level's like, you know? And if he's got a burning desire and that's still the way things are, then, you know, it's his decision. I'm going to say wear it, you know, at this point, it's like, <clears throat> no, looking back, I mean, I'm glad I did it, but looking back, I, I would never not wear one now, you know, or, or if I'm actually like trying to ride seriously. I mean, if I just cruise the mountain and I'm just riding park, I still don't wear one just because I've gotten used to never wearing it. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I, I can see it both ways. I, I haven't thought about it too much. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, I think we should maybe get into another favorite of the show, uh, hot takes. Hot takes. So one question we always ask in hot takes is the MJ and or goat of snowboarding, kind of the greatest of all time, male and female, who do you got and why? Might be JP Walker. You know, he's just like, when we were young, he was the man in the streets. He was the dude. And in the backcountry, he had some of the sickest stuff. He was just that well-rounded rider. And, um... I just got a lot of respect for you know, a lot of those dudes, but for some reason he stood out to me as just being a little bit that that dude. Great answer. Who Great you answer. got? Who you got for a woman? Yeah, I would say for greatest of all time women, I'm, I'm leaning towards Jamie Anderson, just um, with her consistency with you know contests and just having a really long career and, and just being a standout in my mind. You know, either that or or, or Kamira does come into my mind. Yeah, know? Jess. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and um, she's she's unique and. She's been a badass. She's she's won rider over the year several years in a row. Mm -hmm. Voted on by Transworld Magazine, Snowboarder Magazine. So, yeah. Beautiful. Uh, another thing one lady like to ask is when you're in the lift line, a lot of times you'll see a guy uh, do a beaver slap, pick your board up, whack it on the ground to get all the snow off. What are your thoughts on the beaver slap? Do you have a take on it? <laughs> I wish I had a sweet answer, but not really. I, <laughs> you know, I don't really notice it. or, or if it, <laughs> So he's, he's, he's kind of answering no comment. We'll no put comment. That uh, okay, and then uh, if you had an actor play your role in life, who would it be? We, we were discussing this earlier. I'd say Brad Pitt, you know. Wow. Yeah. It's a first. I haven't even got it. It is one. a first. Yeah, you know, he moved out from the Midwest with the, with the dream and good-looking dude, right? I mean, hey, let's, let's, try, let's head that way, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> You got an answer, Buds? You have a take? For Dan? Yeah. You know, there was this actor that looked a lot like him, but I can't I can't put it together. Okay. Uh, I think we should maybe hit uh, a couple more Patreons, and then we should wrap this thing up and put a bow on it. It's been right. beautiful. So, we got another Patreon for you, and this is from uh, Powder Pirate. What's the longest it's taken you to get a single clip between build time, number of tries, getting kicked out? Yeah, I'd say longest... Uh set up time and from beginning to end just probably three four five actually no the pipe pipe was pipe, like a seven day yeah pipe was seven day we built it set it up took like three days of set up had four days of uh weather and then finally got it yeah it was like a seven day scenario there yeah yeah i went on the trip that's all i shot for seven days okay <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was damn fun fun trip what else uh one thing i want to talk about before we wrap it up is your relationship with snowboarding you, it doesn't seem like you go all the time where are you at do you still love snowboarding? Yes, I still love snowboarding very, very much. It just, the focus has changed for me. You know, I had this massive burning desire to be the snowboarder, and I went through this massive run-up and kind of peaked. And then I had this kind of like this five-year downtrend, 
And after peaking, snowboarding became less fun simply because I rode at a higher level and I never have been back at that level. So riding now f- with my friends or my kids, my, my boys, I love it. But like trying, trying to go out and ride and like progress, it's just not there anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and unless you're progressing, snowboarding is not fun. And that's why dirt biking is so fun right now for me. You can go out and progress every fucking day and you get an adrenaline hit really easily. You know, so um, I still love it. Um, I'm just more of a family guy and just, um, you know, with with my boys, I get my boys are my center of my life and my focus. And, you know, I'm grateful for marrying such an amazing woman. My, my wife is just so damn pure. She's such an amazing woman. I've never heard her say the F word. Not once. She doesn't drink beer. She's never had a beer. Let's give her a big old air. Wow. Horn. Yeah. 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 And I've had a lot of challenges from the transition out in, in, into my next career. And she's been just a rock solid with just clarity on how to handle some of the challenges that came on. That's killer. beautiful. Well, before we wrap this thing up, uh, do you have, if you have any thank yous you want to throw out? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you to Melissa and Zealand and, and Leif, my, my family. And then I, I'd go back to the beginning, you know, Clocker, Tinas, Pettit, freaking Blue Montgomery for the start of the career, um, really blowing it up. And then all my brands I rode for, dude, I just had such an, a remarkable career and such good brand support other than the die situation, but everybody else was just so damn good to me and uh, just grateful for it. Well, thank you so much for flying out here, coming on our show, yeah, chat with us. I feel like I learned so much from me this. I'm, I'm psyched and uh, we wish you so much success in your career. It seems like you're, you're already there and uh, we appreciate you. We appreciate you guys for listening. We appreciate you guys for watching. Uh, each and every week. Again, we have actually the the crazy gap we talked about. We have signed prints available of Dan at bombhole.com. One last thing. And uh, to our Patreon members and our sponsors, thank you guys so much. We will see you next week. We are over and out from the bombhole. Thank you guys so much for listening. We really, really enjoyed that conversation. We really enjoyed the fact that you guys listened to us too. So with that being said, do not forget to hit the subscribe button. If you're listening to this on any audio platform, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. So it just pops right up on your phone. You know, we want to connect to you guys. Make sure you guys don't miss any. Again, do not forget to subscribe. And then lastly, Let's hit them. Let's talk about the Patreon, bud. Yeah, if you like what we're doing, check out the Patreon. It really helps us keep the lights on in this place. Find out who the next guests are going to be. Get merch. Ask the guests questions. See photos from what's going on in the office, in the booth. Really get to be part of our program and, more importantly, part of the community we're building. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build and strengthen this bombhole community. So, again, thank you guys so much for listening. It really means the world to us and uh, we really really enjoy doing this and we want to keep making episodes keep bringing you guys great interviews with uh, people we're we're interested in and inspired by so again thanks for listening and we'll see you next week <laughs>